1: Welcome to Flashback Fridays. I am your host, David K. Montoya.
2: And Zoe Montoya.
1: That's right. My little girl has decided that she is going to join us as we dive into the JZO Modcast podcast archives. And we'll see what happens, because she's kind of shy. <clears throat> you want to tell everybody hi? Hi. So, first of all, let me say welcome to episode 50. Uh, it's been a while in the making. So what we're going to do, if you're brand new to the show is we're going to jump in and we're going to pick three shows and then we're going to play them. We'll talk about them and then we'll go on our merry ways. So let's see. We're going to go ahead. There's really nothing going on as far as, um, any news or any business that we need to take care of other than obviously the gentleman that we thought was going to take over for flashback Fridays, uh, that fell through. Um, so I'm doing one. And then I think here after this, Mike Lutz is going to do a few. And then after him, I'm not sure what we're going to do. it might go back to me. Who knows? Maybe I'll have Zoe take over. You.
3: Know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> She's saying, "Yeah, yeah, have have my seven year old daughter." I, I think there's laws against that, um, that kind of thing. Okay, so let's see, what are we going with?
2: What we think, number sixty.
1: What We Think, number 60, is called Super Pops, originally recorded October 2nd, 2014. And it says, this week Sadie and Dave open up with new stuff from their email brown bag special. Saying goodbye to the main man who is truly an SFFWC. I can't say what that means in front of my daughter, but you'll have to listen to find out. And then find out who's this week's helping hand. Afterwards, they close out the week with all expected wickedness in the headline news. All right, kids, go ahead and sit back, relax, and enjoy What We Think, number 60. (laughs) <laughs> it's Thursday night, so let's find out what the fuck we think I'm David K. Montoya
4: And I am S. Sadie Burbank
1: That's right, kids, we are back for week number two We didn't miss nothing, no reruns, no misses We are here live Nobody's sick No
4: Nobody's on vacation
1: Well, not on this side of the podcast <laughs> Huh? I said not on this side of the podcast
4: No, 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 we're, we're good,
1: we're good Uh... Well, usually we start, you know, the podcast and we find out what's going on. We had a little bit of pre chat. Um, one of the things was my daughter turned three. hmm. And we all got to celebrate that. And it was a fantastic party. It I was, was. really it happy was. with the way it came out. It was. Um,
4: she raked in the loop.
1: Oh my God, did she? <laughs> she it
4: really
1: was. I, I'm going to have to go through, literally go through there and just start purging stuff in her room because her room time to share with those
4: who are less fortunate yes Yes, absolutely
1: because it's wall to wall with toys
4: yes I know (laughs) I know even her little play house which is in her room right she's actually cleaned that out I was shocked either she did or you did when you put it in there and it's still kind of clean I mean, there's a rug on the floor and you can see it you know and stuff like that
1: um, Amazing. And, you know, the funny thing is, is I, I never meant to be this way, but I, I'm very much so, is um, when I grew up, you know, God bless my mom and my, my stepdad. They, they were good. Well, my mom's still alive. My stepdad's no longer with us. Right. You know, they, they did what they could do. And uh, I remember growing up with a lot of wants. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just as any child would. You know, you see something, it was around your birthday or yeah. Christmas time, and you're like, oh, I really want yeah. this. You know, you're, yeah. you're trying to put in the plugs. And, and um, you know, unfortunately for me, there was a lot of time when I was that age, you know, child age, where what I really wanted, they just didn't have the number for. Yeah. And I always told my, myself that, you know, there was nothing wrong with wanting you know, it's it's human nature to want, it's right. good to want. It right. gives you something to drive and for. It's
4: normal for kids. Kids, that's how kids get what they need, just by wanting everything.
1: But I, I always try to make certain that they didn't feel left out. Right. And uh, I think it's very safe to say with my two children, <laughs> they they don't have that feeling. They don't feel like they were left out.
4: I don't see how either one of them could. They seem to have pretty much whatever they want. So. And definitely what they need.
1: Well, so. there's some things like Jamie. There's there's some things that he wants. He wants a professional sound program.
4: Yeah, well, I want to be 5 foot 8 and 120 pounds, too, but that's not going to happen.
1: And when I looked at the, you know, the And
4: con- while we're at it, 30 years younger. <laughs> I mean, why not? <laughs> yeah, if we're going for
1: it, let's go for it. <laughs> um, and the program that he wanted was like $5,000 i am like yeah, yeah no 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 that's going to be one of those things that you're going to be wanting for for it's one of those time.
4: things he can strive for as yes. an adult yes yeah he can plan for for himself
1: now you know we podcast and we have a sound system ourselves mm-hmm. the sound system we use to record is absolutely free you know the audacity mm-hmm. is free mm-hmm There's nothing wrong with that. And I told Mm -hmm. him, I said, just download Audacity. Because Mm -hmm. essentially what he wants is Audacity, but it's got the high-end label and you can Mm -hmm. do a little bit more tricks with it. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, learn the basics and then work your way up.
4: Yeah, exactly. Start at the bottom. I think that's important for kids to learn at any
3: age.
1: Okay, uh, let's see. What do we got today? Uh, We start each and every week. To find out what you, the listeners, have to say. And we call this our brown bag email special. But this is going to be a trick. What about Twitter? Oh, or Twitter tweets. Oh, we'll do Twitter tweets after we okay, get Okay, bag. okay, okay. Um, these aren't... These two emails that we have today aren't the greatest love letters uh, that we get from our <laughs> listeners. And Bad. to be honest with you, if you send me an email and it says, You guys suck... You know, and you spell suck wrong with an X. You know... <laughs> Nine times out of ten, I'm not even going to afford it to Sadie. I'm just going to delete it. I really, you know.
4: Yeah, it has to have some. Okay, in the 60s, they used to say it's not enough just to, to piss and moan. Right. Not enough just to bitch about the government and how things are going bad this way or that way. But have a solution in mind at the same time. Okay? That 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 idea came out of well, probably before that, but I noticed it in the 60s. So we're going we're gonna to apply that to our emails. We don't mind you telling us that we suck, but tell us why. Yes. Specifically, why do we suck and what you think could make it better.
1: And please use some decent grammar, please.
4: Well, if they're capable, I, one wonders sometimes. If you are capable of using proper grammar, why don't you? Yes. And so my assumption is you're not capable, which puts you in a lesser category of in terms of someone who's capable of criticizing my verbal efforts.
1: Right. That's and just that's another, me. That's another thing is if I can't read it.
4: Yeah, if, if you can't read it. We won't. <laughs> well, I'm
1: just gonna delete it. Yeah, yeah. It, it won't happen. Yeah. But I was telling Sadie, and most of the time I, I well, I don't tell Sadie about the bad news. And we were no, talking. No, she
4: of, does. He doesn't.
1: And I was like, okay, well, I actually have two emails that I haven't deleted, and one is just kind of blatant ignorance, and the other one gives some, some constructive
4: some criticisms. Yeah. So
1: that's what we have this week. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. And I,
4: and I, and I got in his face about that because we have always said we want to hear from our listeners, good, bad, or indifferent. We want to hear what you have to say. And I told him, I said, you know, all our emails are so sweet and so nice and so kind and everything. And then I find out, no, that's not exactly true. The ones I get through BraveNet have all been good ones. But some of the ones you get through Gmail, and I'm not real sure how, how how do those come, oh, how do those come to you?
1: Um, those come through like iTunes and Stitcher. Oh,
4: okay, yeah, you did tell me that. It went in one ear and out the other. So anyhow, uh, f- there have been negative ones yes. that you have sheltered me from.
1: I'm, I'm very protective. Yes, I really am. Protective. I know,
4: but you don't have to. I'm, I'm, I'm not all that thin-skinned. I can handle it, especially if it's from somebody who's basically a me. Okay, so <laughs> moving right along. Uh, this email actually came to uh, to you in July last year. Oh, hmm. these are both last years. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Yeah. Well, that's interesting.
1: Maybe that's why i <laughs> happened for so long. they just been <laughs> buried in the back. Yeah.
4: Okay. Well, anyhow, these happen to be two that you did not delete. Yes. And so we're going to go ahead and read them anyway. Um, this one is from Bad. I'm sorry. Brad del rio that was not a freudian slip i swear (laughs) uh at yahoo.com if anybody wants to reply to him there's dashes and dots and odd other punctuation here in that address but anyway it says hi sadie and dave you guys sucks s-u-x you are a cheap babylon ripoff and I had to ask you when I read this, what is Babylon? I don't know what Babylon is, so I don't even know I could be ripping them off. But, and you said it was a podcast. Yes,
1: it's another podcast. Okay. Um, and they do they do stuff very similar to us. They do like Hollywood reviews oh. and stuff, oh, okay. um, but they take it more on a, a total entertainment direction. Um, as to where we we approach it. We we can actually have some serious conversations about it. I mean, yes, we do input. You know, if if it's a funny joke to lead to, we'll be a funny joke. But, you know, we we actually give you, and it's in the name of the show, folks, it's called What We Think. We legitimately give you what we (laughs) think.
3: (laughs) That's it. And
4: then he says, you two are boring and have not interesting to say. I think he means nothing interesting to say. And so, Brad... If you know, if you would like my opinion, hear it. No, here it is. God gave you opposable thumbs. Use them to change the dialogue.
1: Fuck you. <laughs>
4: okay, the second one is from also from last year. That one. The first one was in July, July second. This one is. Um, I suppose that's September. S E T. I never saw September abbreviated that way, but it's not the writer who did that. It's the
1: yeah, that's email. That's uh, September company. Well, reason anyhow, September reason being is is, is we have um, through our yet yeah, not Yahoo. It's if you can you can go to either two ways. You can go to what we think at jazelman mm-hmm. and it all goes to one email box, mm. and it's through the Jazelman. Carrier, which is actually, I went cheap. I admit, I went cheap. They're out of country. Mm. Um, I think they're in the UK or something. Mm-hmm. So sometimes translation doesn't come over mm. quite well. Okay,
4: got it. Okay, well, this is from Ralph Singer. Hi, Ralph. Hi, Ralph. And he says, um, and like I said, this was September last year.
1: You Sa- guys suck. You guys are good. You're no, fine. he
4: doesn't say that. He says Sadie. I just wanted to stop in and, I think he means to say, uh, stop in and say that I've listened, but it, it reads, I just wanted to stop in and that I've listened to your podcast. So again, this could be translation from The Carrier. Right. Okay. So we'll assume he, he meant to, I just wanted to stop in and say that I've listened to your podcast. I liked the show. It was a bit too long you said the the printed out word was i should explain to the listeners that i'm looking at a printed out copy with gigantic words because the font was huge
1: yeah and, and I don't you looked
4: at it when you read it on your screen and it actually had all the words yes so okay it says i liked the show it was a bit too long on single subjects and i feel that the background music is not really needed but all in all It's a good show. I'll come back next week for the next show. Signed, Ralph. Now, I think that's very constructive. He says that he likes the show. He says there's some things about it he doesn't like. And he's specific about what they are. Which, at the same time of um, saying, I don't like that, it also offers a, uh, a corrective step that could be taken. When he says... I I don't like, or that there's a bit too much music. That implies that a little less music would be more satisfying for him. So that's a solution, to his complaint. You see Right, I'm right, going right. With it? Okay. And for the listeners, that's kind of what I meant earlier when I was talking about don't just complain, have a solution. So and he said he'd come back for the next show, and hopefully he did, since this was last year.
1: Um, okay, here's...
4: Almost to the almost to the month. Well, September twenty fifth. Last year. And this is September twenty-nine.
1: Well, actually, we're in October now.
4: Oh, that's right. We are. I mean, we're not, but we are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, so. so...
1: it's Ralph, right? Ralph. Ralph. All right, Ralph. Singer.
4: Ralph Singer.
1: This is what happened with you. You... I actually somehow skipped over your email. Um, in fact, it was marked unread until I clicked it this morning. Really? Yes. Ah, ah. So that was an oversight on my behalf because to be honest with you, with that type of an email, I would have given it to Sadie a year ago. Sure. I want you, if you're still listening, if you hear this on Thursday night, write us back. Yeah, let us us, know. Tell us what you think now a year later into the show. Tell us, are we still going down the same path? Because I mean, yes, we still use the same background music. music. Yes. You know, um, are we... Still too long into the singular topics, you know. I, I would like to have him give us an input from an outsider that's been listening to us for a year now.
4: Especially knowing that we never really heard his criticisms, right? So, you know, I didn't really realize because, as you know, and many of our listeners who've been with us for a long time know, I don't listen to our podcasts. No, uh, I can, you know, I mean, I don't mind doing them. I like doing them, but I, it's not something I would turn around and listen to, right? Uh, and I don't... Actually, I don't listen to any podcasts of anyone's, including everybody on Jay Zaman and anybody anywhere else. I'm not a listener because I have a serious hearing deficiency. Right. And I I really don't know most of the time what is being said. If If you turn your back on me and say the word goat, I don't know if you said goat, boat, float, tote, or what. Right. No way to know until I can see your mouth move. So... Listening to something is not my strong suit. I just don't, I don't even, I can't even enjoy music on the radio anymore for the same reason. I can't tell what the heck they're saying. And it, it, it's, sometimes that doesn't matter because sometimes the music is so great, it doesn't matter what they're saying. But that's not real often anymore. Right. So, uh, and especially with consonant dependent, uh, pieces of music. By that I mean rap. Um, you ha- you really got to know what they're saying to enjoy it because there's it's not real musical, and yeah, it's like we used to say <clears throat> back in the '50s and '60s with uh, American Bandstand. Well, it's got a good
1: beat, and I give it a ten, you
4: know. Well, with rap, that all, that's pretty much all it is is the beat, right? And so, you know, I I can't if I can't hear and understand what's being said, I I don't enjoy it. So, there you are. I forget why I got onto that. Oh, because of the uh,
1: because of music. background music.
4: Matt, yeah, background. Well, do we need background music?
1: I like it. <laughs> I mean to be completely really? truthful with you, I like it.
4: Well, see now in a movie, background music is used to enhance the mood. Right. Of what's going on. Yes. But ours isn't it just Same sort thing. of doesn't it just run? I mean, nobody's conducting the music to emphasize a certain word or a thought or a theme are they
1: (laughs) oh unless that poor sap son of a bitch that does all the editing lines it up with (laughs) the topics
4: that would be you that would be me i just hit the microphone because i'm scratching my elbow okay oh sorry No worries.
1: but Um, yeah okay
4: you do that then
1: i tempo it yes okay
4: okay well then that's good
1: and that's what i want to know is now like for example and, and if anybody's ever noticed this then you know they probably know if not surprise <laughs> our specials when mm-hmm. we have a special mm-hmm. i don't run background music
4: you mean like rerun specials
1: no or... like you know how like you did what we did uh, the intervention and uh-huh. the uh-huh. the oscar uh-huh. specials uh-huh. you know you what we think no music no music why was that just something I do oh okay I I don't know I don't know just just something just something to make it more special
4: ah okay maybe that's what Ralph is saying maybe less music would make it more special maybe music in between now and then and and occasionally you know it's like and I know we've talked about this before because I've brought this example up before one of my favorite movies Outcast Mm -hmm. is that it no No, not outcast. Castaway.
1: Castaway. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Wilson.
4: Right, Wilson. You know the story. Yes. The plane crashes. He lives on the island for four years. Right. Events occur that make him think he can finally build a craft and get away from the island. This three... Three quarters of the way into the film, he does that. Right. Right. He gets the craft launched. He makes it over the waves and he just settles down on the last breaker and everything is working right. And that's the first time you hear soundtrack music. Really? Right. Now, in the beginning of the movie, there's music in the background playing because it's pertinent, relative, it's relative to, um, His association with uh, Elvis tunes. He's he's a big Elvis fan. Right. And so some of that goes on, emphasizing that relationship, introducing, so to speak, to the the viewer that relationship. Other than that, there's no soundtrack in that movie until it's nearly over. And when it happens, it's like... Like in The Wizard of Oz, when Judy steps through the, the door... You know, after her house lands oh, and black hell, and white to goes color goes from black and white to color, that's the same feeling that the soundtrack brings to the movie. It's like, oh god, I didn't realize there wasn't a soundtrack. Because you do get really caught up in the action of everything that happens up to that point. And you it's it's still got you. You're still in the grips of the whole thing. But there's just something about that soundtrack coming on at that particular moment in the in the movie that just it it just brightens everything. It's it's amazing.
1: I'll tell you what, now now I'm kind of curious. <clears throat> Go to JZLmon.com slash jazelmodcast. click on what we think, click on comments, okay? You don't have to put your name, you don't have to put anything, you don't have to put anything. Mm-hmm. Just put WWT Yes. WWT no, that's all I want to know. I want to know yes soundtrack no soundtrack. Okay. You don't that's, even have if you if, if, if you're that big of a hurry, you don't have to put your name. You don't have to put shit. Just yes no.
4: Yeah, and if you want to include more information, oh like an email or you know anything, please do. Yes. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see.
1: Huh. All right, kids, we are moving right along. Uh, each and every week, we also find out what. Well, wait a minute, back up Tweet Yeah. I, I was going to say, I'm so used to having Tweet first, tweet first then and then email you, yeah. I was going automatically into email That's cool uh, There's so much that goes on in the world of Twitter And we always like to find out who's our new tweet Or our new tweet follower mm-hmm. And we call this the Twitter tweets Okay kids um, We've had some good pickups This week Let's see Right now, as of right now, we have a total of 1,468 followers. And. Let's see, how do you pronounce this young man's first name?
4: Can you make it bigger? N A D R O. There you go. R O J. I'm guessing. Zure. I have no idea. Nadroj, I would go for.
1: Okay um, He is from is Based out of Tempe No, no Tempe Tempe, Arizona And he was our last follower
4: Nadroj Zerk Z-U-R-C Nedroj Is that a C at the end there? Yes uh-huh. Okay Nadroj Zerk That's my guess My best guess
1: So we want to say thank you to Nedroj
4: And he included a picture of himself yeah. I assume that's him Yes, that's him Welcome. Thanks for following us.
1: And we've had... I have to go through here um, because lately it's just been up and down of people picking up and dropping, picking up and dropping. Oh, yeah. Um, Let's see. Like here, you can see we had, you know, nine followers here. Mm -hmm. We've had, you know, three followers here. More followers here. More followers here. We have... Like 9 followers there. So it goes up and down, mm-hmm. but it, but also unfortunately there's been a drop. Oh. And hopefully like you know you, you were saying about being consistent. You know, hopefully everything that has kind of stopped us from being consistent. Because mm-hmm. we we're going in year 2 of the Jason Marcus. Mm-hmm. I I feel that we've been one of the most consistent shows out there period
4: yeah we've had a couple of of, of intermittent hiatuses hiatuses i don't yes. know i'm not sure how you say the plural of hiatus hiati well anyhow a couple of those um and it, it begs the indulgence of the listener to have very many of those without right losing their interest and we're hoping that y'all have Giving us the benefit of the doubt and keep listening.
1: That or all those people signed up realize we sucks with an X. <laughs> they
4: could be right. I don't know because I don't have, I can't compare us to anything. I never listen to podcasts. What can I say? I'm sorry.
1: So <laughs> this week we closed at $1,468.
3: Okay. That's good.
1: Yes, it is good. It's better than two. <laughs>
4: Better than anything less than that.
1: Yes, absolutely. Okay, kids, we also get together and we find out what poor semi famous fucker who croaked. (laughs) And we call this segment Saying Goodbye. To
4: the SFFWC.
1: Yeah, else. This week is Don Kiefer. Are you familiar with Don Kiefer? I was
4: going to say that's a totally SWF. Slightly famous.
3: Uh, yeah like he went, no
1: he he falls right there at the slightly famous. yeah fucker. he does mm. um, Don Kiefer who mm-hmm. yeah he he was um, he was the actor who had bad thoughts in Twilight Zone. He dies at 98. Now <clears throat> he doesn't have a really strong peak at this point after the Twilight Zone. Yeah um,
4: if I see his face, I'll probably recognize him but I'll wait till you ready. Okay. Okay, the guy on the left, right? Yeah, this guy. Yeah, cuz the guy in the middle looks like uh, Don Porter.
1: Um and this one is from no, it's not. This is this is the famous episode that the little boy who could read your mind. Mm. And if you if you thought bad things about him, um, he could turn you into different objects. Oh,
4: and, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah.
1: Well, Don Yeah, Kiefer,
4: I remember that one.
1: There, all the adults were in, in the house, and they were having a birthday party for this guy.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: The guy who was having the birthday was Don Kiefer. Oh. Okay. He,
3: so.
4: was, he was the kid?
1: No, he no. he was this guy. Yeah, he, he yeah. He was the guy having yeah. the birthday.
4: Oh, okay, okay.
1: And um, let's see. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to see... Anything? Okay, he was oh, right. Broadway's "Death of the Salesman," forty-nine. Yeah. Let's see, Woody Allen's "Sleeper." He was in "Liar, Liar." You know, so nothing really spectacular. So it's that's like why he did
4: a lot of work on on the legitimate stage, as they call it. Yes.
1: yes. Um. So with hmm. every saying okay. goodbye, I always go and take the daunting task of finding a video his. Oh, yes.
4: Howdy, Anthony.
2: Mighty How good to see you today. Where's that Mighty good. I made a gopher with three heads. See him? I'll make him dead now. I'm tired of playing with him. Be dead. Gopher, you be dead. That's all the television there is. There oh, it was wonderful, Anthony. Wasn't
5: it, everyone? Oh, that was good. It, nice. I'm television very good. Wasn't Anthony's television wonderful now?
3: tonight?
5: The big surprise for Dan's birthday... There he is. Perry yeah. Como, Look, do you think we could play it?
3: I don't think we'd better, Dad.
1: It'd be taking too much of a chance.
5: It's good <laughs> I can't play it here. It would
1: be good if you told me what to play, Anthony.
3: Don't make any noise when the music's playing. I don't like any noise when the music's playing. Yes! Nah,
1: I can't even play my own record. I can't even play Perry Como! <laughs> Happy birthday to me, happy
5: birthday to me, happy Dad. birthday Please stop! Yeah. You're a, Please a bad, bad man! You're a very bad day.
2: man! you had him. You had to go have him. Somebody end this now, what he's thinking about me! Somebody take a lamp or a bottle or something and end this! You're a bad man, you're a very bad man, and you keep thinking
5: bad thoughts about me. He was a bad man,
4: so I turned him into a jack-in-the-box, a jack-in-the-box that still had his bad and You mustn't face. think
2: bad thoughts about me either, or I'll do the same thing to that. you.
1: It's real good. It will swell, it's just swell. so. That was Don Keeper. So for this week, we say, see you later. Bye, Don. All right, now we're moving right along because once in a while, somebody famous does something good. Normally, they're just so self-conceited and they just do whatever they want to make them feel good. But when somebody special pushes their own ego aside. And this is Our Helping Hand. Now, Brian Cranston. Are you familiar with Brian Cranston?
4: Name sounds familiar.
1: Um, he was the lead in Breaking Bad.
4: Okay, yes. Now I know who you're talking about. I didn't watch the show, but I do know who you're talking
1: about now. Um, he... This... this. Where would I start? Uh, there was a 19-year-old boy. He is stricken with cancer, stage 4 cancer. Mm. Um, his like, big thing he wanted to do was just talk with Brian Cranston. Well, Brian Cranston is now filming like, prequels to Breaking Bad or, mm. or something like that. So, mm-hmm. he was unable to be there in person. Mm-hmm. But, he did the next best thing. Brian Cranston had a Skype call.
4: Oh, okay. I know what that is.
1: And, um, he talked with, this is coming out of, uh, let's see today.com um and he had a skype call with this 19 year old and let's see the the 19 year old was brad he came out of carolina and i thought it would just be neat to because they of course they recorded it with their phones just to, just to hear a little bit not the whole conversation but okay. just uh, a little bit of conversation
2: Had this work for the day that was strong, and um, his favorite show was Breaking Bad. And we tried to figure out a way to incorporate what Brad was going through with his favorite show. So my sisters came up with Breaking Brad, and um, he could just really relate to the um, the character with the cancer and the transformation, and not the whole meth lab joke. I'll teach you all that. <laughs> 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 and so, um, his moment oh, cool. sister Kayla was in New York with her husband on a business trip and she held up a sign that said Breaking Brad. Um, she was trying to get on the Today show. And then some other people that posted on Facebook. And then some other people in DC saw that, some friends of ours and posted it. And then it just kind of took a life of it.
1: And, uh, so, of course, uh, from what I understand, he sat and he had, like, a good hour-long conversation, uh, cool. with Brian, Brad, Brad, I'm sorry, uh, Brad, mm-hmm. and his family, and...
4: <clears throat> well, that was nice of him to do that.
1: That just made the kids day.
4: Yeah.
1: So, for this week's Helping cool. Hand, it is, again, I think Brian Crenson has the, the record of most oh, Helping right? Hands. Oh, good for him. Is, uh... Yes, All right, kids, now we're going to get into the heart of the matter, the meat potatoes of the show. We call this the Headline News. All right, Sadie, let's find out what you know, what's going on. Did you hear about this big hoo-ha about the lady who had the third breast implanted in the middle of her chest? <laughs> Did you hear about this? <laughs>
4: That's almost as bad as these crazy women that want double Ds. You know, 38, 36 double Ds. You know, that's like taking two large cantaloupes and slapping them on your chest. Um, let me see. Uh, No, I don't believe I... (laughs) She really did have a third... Where the fuck did she put it?
1: Uh, well, okay. I mean... Well, let's, let's... All
4: right. I'm... I'm... Hello. A 42 double D. All right? Where would I put a third one? I, there's no, without revealing my entire anatomy to you, you can see there's no room in there. Right. Is there? There's one up against the other. Right. <clears throat> Where am I going to put a third one? Under my pit?
1: Uh. And if so which right. pit. All right. Look, don't... Then I'd
4: have to have another one so it would be even. So I'd have to have four tits. Seriously. I don't believe that. That looks like, what's her name anyway? That looks like Katy Perry.
1: No, uh, this lady's name is...
4: I don't believe that. Did she really?
1: No. It was a hoax.
4: Yeah, it's gotta be. What self-respecting find... doctor... What do they call those doctors?
1: Plastic surgeons? Yeah,
4: what self-respecting plastic surgeon would do that in the first place? Not that, uh... not that all s- plastic surgeons are self-respecting.
1: What the hell is her name? Oh. Shit. Well, anyway, she wanted to be a reality star. That was her thing. She really wanted to be a reality star.
4: Yeah. So she faked a third And
1: word. she said that she was so disappointed with dating men and she wanted to make men unattractive to her. Um, she went to 50 She wanted to
4: make men unattractive to her.
1: Yes. Unattractive to her.
4: Oh. oh. Uh.
1: She went to...
4: So she added a tip? She what said is that?
1: she said that she went to 50 uh, different plastic surgeons and one finally did it for how many of her thousands of dollars. Mm. This came out online. Mm. Everybody, it just blew up. People were just like, that's, you know, disgusting. You're stupid. da 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 mm-hmm. well, She got her 15 minutes of fame that she wanted. Mm. Because in the process, you know, because she was going on talk shows and whatnot, mm-hmm. Um, somebody stole her luggage,
4: <laughs> and with it, her third tip. <laughs> and well it's a it's a very good um, imitation. Yes, it looks I mean, it, it looks, looks real. real to me. I mean, I can't really tell. And when you think <laughs> actually looking at it, it is sort of interesting. I seriously, it's kind of interesting. Yes, um, I don't find it appealing.
1: As a guy, I, to me, it is, it's not appealing. Cool.
4: Uh, as a woman, it's not particularly appealing. Uh, but it is interesting to look at. I think she should, for her f- 15 minutes of fame, I think she should have just entered a Katy Perry look-alike contest. <laughs> doesn't she look like Katy Perry?
1: She does. Um,
4: Which may be an insult to Katy, and if it is, I'm so sorry. I don't but, mean to insult you.
1: But with her, her, her luggage was stolen. And she, of course, had to write down a claims form, you know, of what.
4: No, she didn't.
1: And one, at, at the very bottom, it says, one-third prosthetic boob, $5,000. And that got leaked out, and so much for her 15 minutes of fame.
4: out. Yeah, that's a good term. <laughs> that got leaked out. Oh, isn't that what those silicone ones do? Yes. Sometimes. But this was just like an add-on kind of thing, huh?
1: I don't know how it works. I mean, I, I really don't... I
4: find that part of the whole story much more interesting than the story itself. <laughs> is how, they, how did they
1: do it? I'm thinking that this right here, the, the coverings, was like all... Because it kind of goes back here, and then this one V's Oh,
4: I see. Maybe it hung around her neck even, huh? Yes. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's possible. That's good. It's a good, uh,
3: fate. Uh, I
4: don't suppose it would hold up as it were under close scrutiny. Probably but, not. But, uh, from this distance, it, it looks real enough.
1: So that's the tempo <laughs> kits. That's what we have for this week's that's headline. It, huh? uh, there's, uh, there's not a, a whole bunch.
4: That's pretty depressing.
1: Um, Huffington Post reveals that Kim Kardashian, uh, she says, well, Somebody hacked her cloud and now there's new pictures of her.
4: Oh, you know, I, I I'm sorry, but I find it really difficult to summon any sort of sympathy for people who take pictures of themselves in any circumstance, put it on the internet and then get pissed off because people hack it off the internet.
1: Well, here's the funny thing. Okay. Now, do you remember us talking about this? Well, oh, yeah. Okay. Like two weeks later, she comes out, Kim Kardashian. She comes out and she's like, well, they did it to me. They just did it to me right now.
3: Mm.
1: Really? Well, isn't she two the one that later. made
4: it by having a movie of herself with her yeah. husband anyway?
1: Wasn't the husband.
4: Well, whoever it was, she was in bed with somebody. Yeah. So, she well, in, I shouldn't rapper, say bro. in bed. She was having sex with somebody. I don't even know if it was kitchen table or what, but, so, why does it bother her? Why does it bother her to have her naked pictures hacked?
1: Exactly. And that's why the internet's response was, bullshit, you did it yourself.
4: It <laughs> could be. Or, oh darn. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: No, the, the the general consensus is that most people believe that Kim Kardashian went, gave her enough time to go take pictures. Proper, you know, professionally looking nude photos Mm -hmm. and post them up on the Internet. Mm
3: -hmm. Now
1: the spotlight, because we haven't talked about Kim in quite a few weeks. Well, she hasn't
4: done anything.
1: Because she's been out of the spotlight. So now, Since
4: she got married, actually. Right.
1: And now she's semi-sorta.
4: Plus, plus, what's-his-face has been busy being God. Yeah, Jesus. Oh, maybe he did it. I mean, God knows all, sees all, and can do all. Maybe God did it maybe. There you go. But, I mean, he's got the real thing. So why would he want (laughs) to hack pictures of her naked when he can just say, honey, take off your clothes a minute. I want to look at you naked. You know.
1: That's a good question. Um, Uh,
4: Not really, but it's certainly a thought.
1: (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Shia LaBeouf, he's batshit crazy. Again? Yes. He Mm -hmm. ran around... The Amsterdam Museum just ran around. The Amsterdam Museum
4: outside or inside?
1: Outside uh-huh. 144 times.
4: Ooh, is that a significant number? I mean, is it like you know, seven sons of a seventh son or some? Shit? I mean, <clears throat> why 144? Is that the square well, root of something?
1: Let's, let's see what it says. It says Shia LaBeouf ran around Amsterdam Museum 144 times for a bizarre art meta marathon. Oh
4: yeah, 27 times. Whatever it is got to be 144 in there somewhere. Math's uh, not my lungs. <laughs> 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 Obviously. That's an interesting speaking of suits. That's an interesting one he's wearing.
1: Yeah, uh, yes. A green uh, shirt,
4: purple pants, and pink and turquoise sneakers.
3: Okay. Uh,
1: and it says little. Little did the bemused tourists know, they they know they were actually witnessing the actor's latest artistic endeavor being performed.
4: Oh, he didn't even do it for, like, a good cause or anything?
1: No. Nah. It was an artistic endeavor. I told you, this is pretty much... This is what we got this week.
4: Well, art, uh, like beauty, is in the eye of the beholder. So if he thinks that's art and it's an artistic expression on his part. Who am I to say it isn't?
1: Me. I say it's exercise. I
4: don't, I don't find it the same, but that's my opinion. He's certainly entitled to his own. If he thinks he's being artistic.
1: Now, if I go run around this complex 144 times, other than being a miracle from God that I didn't pass out, <laughs> it wouldn't be considered art. It'd be... You know, you're well, running. it'd be
4: a miracle for another reason too, because there isn't anything that goes around this complex,
1: well, yeah, like true. a path or anything. That's true.
4: But yeah, I don't know. Were other people participating in just the, him in the Make Meta Marathon?
1: Just Mr. Labuff, him and his batshit craziness.
4: Where he was in Holland, right? Yes. Don't isn't isn't that where you can yeah. smoke dope? In the streets and stuff? Yes. Maybe that's... Uh, yeah, Amsterdam. Yeah. Maybe you had a little too many... <laughs> yeah. Puff,
1: puff, give. Puff, puff, give. Yeah, that would explain it.
4: Maybe. I don't know. I'm just guessing. What's he holding his hand? That's an odd position. For, <laughs> now that I'm looking at it. I that. was going to say,
1: I did not notice that. But, yes, that is an interesting position. That he's...
4: And it's in the shape and, and darkness of it. It's kind of funny looking from here. here if went. I were up closer, I could probably see it's a juice bottle or something. But
1: <laughs> I will download this one and put it to our page, yeah, kids. So yeah, can...
4: I think they should see that. Oh, my God. Everybody sits six or seven feet away from your uh source of... uh Whatever Whether it's television Or your computer Or whatever you're Looking at us with Get, get back a little bit And then tell me What he's holding In his hands
1: <laughs> We're gonna get A little serious here
4: Oh okay
1: uh, This one actually Really At first I was like Eh But then when I Started reading the article I'm like holy fuck um, Kevin Spacey stalker Was sentenced to more Than four years in prison Did you know about Kevin Spacey stalker
4: I did not I know who Kevin Spacey is I did not know he had a stalker. Is she, it a man or a woman?
1: It was a woman. Okay. And she was wow. That's that's pretty much all I can say is wow, because uh, let's see if I can find something I can read.
4: Does it show her?
1: Uh, Massachusetts woman who threatened to blow up, torture, castrate Oscar-winning actor yeah. Kevin Spacey it
4: doesn't sound like she's terribly fond of him
1: in what prosecutors called a persistent and malevolent cyber-stalking campaign, has been sentenced mm. to more than four years in prison.
4: Isn't that terrorism? Yeah, yes. I thought terrorism brought more than four years, but, oh well.
1: Um, a federal...
4: She's
2: 55?
1: Yes, a federal judge in Boston also ordered uh, Linda Louise Culkin Okay. of... Quincy Toupee Spacey, $124,000 in restitution for bodyguards.
4: She uh, Say that again. Where's she from?
1: It Where? says Quincy. Where? It says.
4: Where? Okay. Of, of Quincy. Quincy. Oh, Toupee. Well, when you said Quincy Toupee, you said it all together, and I thought, what What the fuck is Quincy Toupee? Oh. Okay. <laughs> she's from Quincy. Yes. And she's ordered to pay Spacey. Okay.
1: Well, pretty much reimburse him of his bodyguards because of what uh-huh. he paid for his bodyguards.
4: What makes anybody think she's got that kind of money? Somebody that that's crazy has can't possibly have any cash. No. Let alone $104,000. $124,000.
1: 124000
4: Oh, yeah, there is a two there. Okay.
1: The 55-year-old Culkin has been jailed since January 2012 Meaning she has about eighteen months left to serve. Now she is going to be really fucking pissed off when she gets out. So yep. he's better—he better like double up security. Um, she pleaded guilty in November to charges including mailing threat com- threatening communications and sending false information regarding explosives. Uh, Spacey was not in court on Wednesday sentencing. He said in in. ...said in an impact statement that it was difficult to measure the degree of terror, he felt.
4: Exactly. That's why I said she was a terrorist. So why wasn't she... Why wasn't she... Um...
1: I have your answer. You okay. ready? yes. Culkin apologized and blamed her actions on mental illness.
4: Oh, I wasn't really a terrorist. I was just crazy.
1: Exactly. Temporarily.
4: Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I gotta agree with her. She probably is.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean,
4: that's a screwy thing to do. So maybe, maybe,
1: maybe. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I feel sorry for him. That's, that's gotta be difficult. Oh God, yes. I mean, I know, you know, that everybody who puts themselves in the eye of the public is, you know, pretty much has gotta be willing to take whatever attention they get. Yes. But at the same time, that you would hope that that would be reasonable, not unreasonable attention. And this is certainly unreasonable attention.
1: You know, I, I kind of joked at it at first, but now sitting here thinking, you know, she's only got eight months left. How uncomfortable is he knowing that, you know, now she's served well, time. Okay, so. she
4: served time for the crime, but does she not have to be shrunk at the same time? I mean, she... She claims she was guilty because she was mentally ill, so do they not have to work on that issue as well? I'm sure they do. I mean, incarcerating her is not going to...
1: Fix the problem? It's
4: not going to address the problem of the mental illness. So I would think that that would be a concurrent situation. Right. That, you know, once she's out of prison, she's into the hands of the uh, psych docs or something.
1: Maybe. And
4: then there's the bank. Yes. She's got to borrow the money. Who's going to loan the psych... $124,000 On $124,000 to pay back her this debt.
1: I don't know, but I want to know those people.
4: Me too. Because <laughs> I'm not psych, and I'm not a con, and I could use the money.
1: And, so could you. Oh, yeah. I got a movie to finance. Yeah. Let's, let's do this.
4: Yeah. Jeez
1: Louise. <sighs> okay, kids. We're going to end on a... Oh, wait. Oh, oh, yes.
4: I got one other one in case you don't have... Do we have time? Okay.
1: Yes, we do. We have plenty oh, of time. Go oh. ahead.
4: Okay. Well... You, you said when I got here today that you had like a short show as far as, as activity among the
1: celebs, the yes.
4: super pops is concerned. I made that up. Super pops.
1: Oh, in fact, I think that's what we're going to name the episode. Super pops.
4: Okay. That's cool. All right. So one of the sexiest, in my opinion. Okay. One of the prettiest, sexiest, Would go there if I could. Guys (laughs) is off the market. (laughs) Yeah, David's wife just walked in and she's drooling. George Clooney has gotten married.
1: Now, was it this weekend?
4: Yes, in Venice, Italy. He met his wife in Italy, I understand. She is, um, and I'm sorry to say I don't know her Her whole name, huh? Yeah, I know she is. She's, I think, Harvard or Yale educated. Or Oxford. Somewhere, you know, she's got a really good education. Okay. And she's a lawyer, and she's um, an advocate for many of the world issues for which he has been an advocate uh, as well. So the the connection between the two doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, But they had... As you might imagine, a very elaborate, very secretive, but enough so that the pop, the paparazzi could get there and take, you know, a few pics. So it wasn't that secretive, but they had a, a beautiful, a supposedly beautiful wedding in Venice. And they, it showed uh, on the TV news, it showed them arriving the in mo- motorboats, not gondolas like you would expect, because I guess the everyday traffic of the, I didn't hear you. I got,
1: she said they got married. Before. Oh, they might
4: have done. They might have done, but I believe they had also an elaborate ceremony someplace. Yeah, because she's, she's of Middle Eastern descent, but I'm not sure what. Have you found she's, her yet? She's Jewish. Okay.
1: It's, uh, Amal.
4: Yeah, that, na- the first name I was pretty sure of, but I didn't want to say I'm waiting say it. for
1: it to load so I can show. Okay. Yeah. Um,
4: and she's gorgeous.
1: Naturally.
4: Amal. Ala Mudin. Alamudin, yes, is her last name. Um, I and think that's the way the, the people,
1: People Magazine, yeah, is see, the one that got the, the, picture. the
4: picture. Isn't that gorgeous? And she gorgeous. She's gorgeous. He's. They're both gorgeous. If I
2: was a lesbian. I'd be all over <laughs> her.
4: <laughs> and and just just so you know, I mean, she, you'd expect him. I would expect him to choose somebody like her. She's not only gorgeous, but smart and um has a concern for her fellow man that that mirrors his right you might say so does it say where she went to school because it was
1: uh let's see it says after george clooney and amal alamed alamudin Alamudin, exchanged traditional vows platinum bands and yes a lengthy kiss (laughs) Their 30-minute wedding ceremony on September 27th in Venice, Italy, the newlyweds turned to their family and friends, and the place went wild. Cheers and applause filled the gilded halls of the Italy's (laughs) Italian, Italy's historic.
3: Uh,
1: See um, here, amen. Canal Grande, Venice. Uh, as the round 100 guests Many with tears in their eyes Celebrated the much anticipated Union of the Oscar winner And his Bride The intimate wedding Including 25 exec- or Exclusive photos Of the emotional Ceremony star studded Parties And all the sweet candid moments Is featured in this week's People magazine uh, didn't mean to plug People Magazine, but there you go.
4: Okay, I'm looking on my computer. I'm looking her up in Wikipedia. Okay. It's...
1: George is 53.
4: She was born in 78, whatever that makes sense.
1: Well, I was born in 77.
4: Oh, 36. 36. Okay, she was, um, she's British Lebanese. She was born in Beirut, um... Oxford. That's where she got her Bachelor of Laws at University of Oxford, a Master of Law, Laws in New York University School of Law. Okay. That's awesome. I mean, that's... That's...
1: That's, that's some smart lady that, right that there. That beats
4: my Victor Valley Community College degree all the hell.
1: <clears throat>
4: <laughs> um, She's a barrister at Doughty Street Chambers. I don't know how to say that word. Doughty... Or No, there's no R. Dofty. I don't know how to say Do oh Doty. Hello. Dodie. Like Doe. looks like Doe. With a T Y at the end of it. Street chambers. Whatever the heck that is. Let's see. What is that? Um it's a British set of barristers chambers situated in Bristol, Manchester, and London's Doty Street. Undertaking criminal justice, public law, immigration, employment. Human rights and civil liberties work. So, like I said, she sort of matches him in her interests and in her and her life's work. Uh, because, as we, most of us know who know George Clooney, right? We know that he's been very active for many years in trying to help, especially a lot of the peoples of Africa with uh, some of the genocide problems that have been going on there and other issues. Right. So. It It seems to me like a match made in heaven For the two of them to be together Because not, are, not only are they Two of the most beautiful people in the world But their Personalities Appear to be From looking from outside here Looking right. in at them They appear to be well matched So I'm disappointed I won't ever get my chance with George Because <laughs> they sure would take it But I'm happy for him and her that they have made this happy marriage together. So there you go.
1: All right, kids, we're going to end on a fun note. Okay. I, Sadie, just looked over at the screen. <laughs> <laughs> I
4: want to see what it is. It's She's... going to be fun.
1: It says Ooh. human Ooh. flesh burgers. It gives me chills. By Chef James Tomlinson. Yeah. Probably. I'm sorry. I'm doing a podcast. Yeah.
4: Later. Hey, later, Gator. Human uh, Flesh Burgers by Chef James Tomlinson probably do taste like human.
1: Um, and...
4: Hmm. Are they serious? They're not going to really talk about eating people, are they?
1: Let's are they- Let's push play and find out.
5: Hey, everyone. I'm Mike Rylander, and this is What the Fark. Like everything, the burger has evolved with time. Yes, gone are the good old days where burger meat was just the muscular innards of a dead cow. In 2014, you can fill your buns with all sorts of meats and meat substitutes. Like turkey, bison, organic free-range quinoa tempeh set in rice patties that have been mixed with a real nice cumin dry rub persimmon pico de gallo. But today, we head to London, England, where Chef James Tomlinson has taken this trend to a whole new level. (laughs) Yep, human flesh burgers. Okay, now before you get your panties in a bunch and fire off a terse email to the people for the ethical treatment of people, it's not actual human flesh. (laughs) No, Chef Tomlinson has created a burger made from a mixture of veal, chicken livers, bone marrow, and pork that merely imitates the taste of human flesh. Because, hey, uh, who the f*** doesn't want that? Who the fuck knows whether it does or not? That's what I don't know. So how exactly does Chef Tomlinson know what human That's flesh what tastes like? That's a great question. I thought so. But Scotland Yard wants him to answer immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you're cutting into his butt. Well, what kind of piece do you want? Well, not but. (laughs) Chef Tomlinson used first-hand accounts of cannibalism to create his recipe, including the 1931 book Jungle Ways, for which author and journalist William Seabrook persuaded a medical student to give him a piece of human flesh Mm -hmm. so he could give it the old college try. (laughs) It was like good, fully developed meal. Not young, but not yet beef. Tomlinson also used an account from Japanese cannibal killer Issei Sagawa who said, It melted in my mouth like raw tuna at a sushi restaurant. So if you're asking yourself why in God's name would anyone want to eat a burger that tastes like humans, don't worry, you're not alone. I've been asking myself that all day. The burger is actually part of a top-secret pop-up restaurant opening today in East London to celebrate the release of The Walking Dead's fifth season in the United Kingdom. They're screwing with the wrong people. The restaurant is being called Terminus Tavern, which is named <laughs> after an iconic destination in the hit zombie series, and you can celebrate your favorite TV show with a human flesh burger starting today.
1: There you go.
3: Oh my god.
1: <laughs> uh
4: fortunately, the era of of the people who who say I it, I can't believe the world has come to this. That era has gone. It died out with my, my parents. Uh huh. So I can't say that anymore because I've seen so much since their passing. They died in 1990 and I have seen so much and heard of so much and been exposed to so much that, that I, I, you know, the old saying of they'd roll over in their grave, uh-huh. you know, that's kind of what I think it's a good, I think it's a good thing that we die eventually, because, you know, you can only take so much of innovative living, if I can put it that way, and then you, you've had enough. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. And I guess it, it's a testament to one's ability to adapt to innovation that that allows them to live long lives. But I find myself from time to time going, I don't know how much more of this I can take. You know, and I know my granddaughters, you know, who are in their teens and 20s. I know they're not thinking that. Right. They're thinking, wow, I wonder what more will come, you know. Uh. (laughs) But I think they may have gotten close to the mark here with this. And I, I get it about the, the zombie show and, you know, the whole cute, isn't that funny thing.
1: But. <clears throat>
4: if you really think about the concept of eating something that someone says tastes like human fish, at flesh, if you actually think about that for a minute, why the fuck
3: would you want to? You know?
1: I say let's all go down and. Head to London tonight. No, and that's let's not say we did. <laughs> let's enjoy a human-flavored hammer. No, I don't want
4: to. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't even like fish. Oh, I love fish. I Lacey made some good fish. I, yeah, fish. I hate fish. I hate fish. I can't stand fish. I hate fish of all kinds. So if I don't even like fish, why would I want to eat something that tastes like a person? Right. Because then i that'd be like smelling somebody that died. Which, unfortunately, I've actually done. And it's hard to get that out of your mind and out of your memory. And I have worked hard at that for a long time. I don't know. I don't think I'd want to. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I'm sure I would not want to. Oh,
1: All right, kids. So come back <laughs> next week. If you
4: do... It may, we have listeners around the world. Yes. If you live in London and you're listening and you go to this, what they call the restaurant again?
1: I'll put a, a link of it when we'll, okay. we we'll post it.
4: If you go to the place where you can eat like the zombies do, <laughs> not for real, but it just tastes like it. Right. Okay. It's not really human flesh. No. But it tastes like it, according to a couple of questionable sources. If you do that, I wanna, I'd want i like to hear from you. How was it? Was it really as icky as it sounds like it's going to be? I'd like to hear.
1: Oh, definitely.
4: Yeah. So let us know. Sounds, definitely. Yeah, it sounds not my cup of tea, as it were.
1: How appropriate for it being in yes,
4: London. Yes, in London. I think so. I'm not my cup of Earl Grey. <laughs>
1: All right, kids, that's it for this week. I am David K. Montoya.
4: And I am a shuddering S. Sadie Burbank.
1: All right. Well, you heard what we think, and now you know. See you next week. Good night. All right, kids. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm trying to get Sadie to come back and, and pick up recording what we think. That was such a fun show, and we had a good segment and had a lot of feedback. So, you know... If you want Sadie to come back and record what we think all over again, you can email her at ssadieburbank at com, and she'll get that. So you kind of just encourage her because we want her to come back and, and record and have fun and well. Okay, so my little helper, Zoe Montoya, reach into the bag of specials.
2: Fog ExpoCy, Cafe, number 23, number 24.
1: Okay, kids, you get a double this week. Uh, TreeFog Exposé Café, originally news, views, and reviews, number 23 and 24, is live from Wolfheart Stadium, part 1 and 2. Originally released on July 10, 2013, and it says this week, Rick returns to you as Lord Stanton, as he hosts a kingdom-wide event live from Wolfheart Stadium. In Stanton, tonight's matches include the Battle Royale, which will be the Vikings versus the English pikemen versus the German mercenaries. And then a melee, which includes several warriors as they battle to the death. Then in part two, which would be number 24, it says the melee from the previous episode then continues because we didn't find out the winner. A single gauntlet match, and the grand finale of the program, which is the Knight's Joust. So go ahead, sit back, relax, and indulge in Reaper Rick's voice one more time from the past. In Tree Frog Exposé Café, news, views, and reviews, number 23 and number 24. Hey, hey, hey,
0: welcome back. It's Reaper Rick, Reaper Rick. Aka Lord Stanton, the Wolfheart Von Schwarzwald, talking to you live from Wolfheart Arena tonight. This is going to be our biggest, best, badass podcast ever. So please, if you like what you hear, tell your friends standing outside the arena now there are people everywhere coming in, they're still coming in Uh, people are shooting off fireworks they're singing we're having music there are smells of cooking dead animals coming from the uh, parking lot as tailgaters uh, prepare their treats I guess Anyway, uh, before we actually get started with the uh, festivities tonight, I have a few, well I've had a few dozen questions come in regarding my uh, uh, topic last, last time, last podcast, which had to do with the uh, beer and wine flowing through the taps. Okay, Um, a lot of people had questions about that, I guess you can imagine. Anyway, uh, to answer the most prominent question, no, the uh, beer and wine will not be provided for the entire Southern California area. I'm sorry, but that is just insane. It can't be done, at least not on our budget. Uh, I am Lord Stanton, therefore... will only be the city of Stanton which will receive the beer and wine flow through their pipes eventually so the rest of you will either have to uh, petition your own uh, city council people or come visit someone you know in Stanton in order to uh, partake of the flowing beverages that will be coming through the tap one of these days okay Um, second of all uh, beer itself Um, due to the uh, obesity problem in this country and especially in this city uh, I'm afraid we will be dealing with light beer if that's a problem for you well I guess you'll just have to walk over to your local liquor store and pick up some fat beer because light beer is all you're going to get from the taps around here. That's the best I can do on that one. The actual uh, brand of beer will also depend on what is available. And we are taking bids on that right now. So could change from week to week, maybe even day to day. It's hard to tell. At this point in time, what's the difference? Beer is beer, right? The wine... The wine... (coughs) I'm sorry. The wine will be a rosé or blush wine. Uh, Again, you can't please everyone all the time. Excuse me, maybe that you can't fool everyone all the time, but anyway. uh, Blush wine, rosé is the best we can do. That way it's, you know, partly white, partly red. Again, if that that is not comfortable for you, something you just can't stand to get free from your taps, you can always go out and buy the more expensive wine from your local store. Either way, um, that should answer the questions that have been coming in. If you have anything else uh, you need to know about, just let me know. Drop me a line at Reaper Rick's Facebook page. You can uh, leave a comment um, at the JZomon Facebook page or the JZomon actual podcast page. There is a comment section there. You can leave questions, comments, suggestions, whatever. In the meantime, I hope you can hear some of the fireworks that are going on. We have uh, music playing here. People are just jumping up and down. They're, they are excited. They are really looking forward to some bloodlust here tonight. So we're still about an hour or so away from the start of the spectacular, but I uh, won't stay on the air the entire time. I'll take a break here and, here and there, so uh, we won't waste too much of your time. Um, I will be broadcasting live everywhere except where you are, and that means you will have to either download or listen on the radio to uh, the podcast tonight, but I'm sure that we can make it exciting for you either way. Don't worry about that. Let me give you a little background here on what we have going on tonight and some of the people who are going to be involved. Uh, First up, we have a battle royale. In this type of uh, exercise scenario, we have groups of warriors, either two, and this time three, three of them tonight, three groups of different classifications of warriors who will enter the field and battle each other. The the group who survives or has most men standing at the end will be declared the winner. First off, in uh, the battle royale we have a group of Vikings, 147 of them actually. Uh, They came over in three longboats and they will be battling against English troops and a set of German mercenaries. Vikings are being led by the giant Baldrick Greyhorn, six foot six inches and 340 pounds of mainly muscle. Greyhorn has been chosen the leader and Vikings should be entering the field in about 30 minutes. Well, on on my end, not on your end. Okay, against the Vikings, on one side we have the English soldiers. Uh, Most of those are pikemen. Pikemen carry a 12-foot-long pike. It's pointed on one end and has hooks on either side of the pointy end, so if they uh, stab at someone and miss for some reason they can pull back and catch a leg or an arm or a neck or an ear or whatever with the hooks on the, uh, the end of their pike and still inflict considerable damage Now, they have, again, these are 12-foot pikes, which they will be pointing at the Vikings and the Germans, the German mercenaries. These guys are mostly spearmen with large shields. They also carry swords. Now, the Germans have become masters of uh, shield and spear battle. Uh, their spears are nine feet long. The uh, blades are leaf-shaped, which means that uh, they're sharpened from, well all the way around. Okay, it's curved on the bottom of the blade, but that is sharpened as well. So if they spear you, they use—they don't throw these spears, by the way. They use them in hand, hand-to-hand type combat. If they stick the spear into your body, they rotate their hand a quarter turn and pull the spear back through the body, which also cuts through and leaves you with an X-shaped wound, which cannot be stopped from bleeding. The English also have fourteen archers on their side, the famous English longbow, which they will put to use usually before the attack actually takes place. So that's what we have for the Battle Royale. Vikings against the English against German mercenaries. It should be a marvelous, marvelous battle. English have 68 pikemen. Germans have 56 soldiers, warriors. Oh, the fireworks are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that gives the uh, English and Germans a total of 124 warriors against 147 Vikings. That means the Vikings have an actual man advantage of 23. That may not seem like much, but uh, with Vikings, you know, well, Vikings are just bloody Vikings. They don't really need much of an advantage, all they need is their weapons. Okay, beyond the Battle Royale... Oops, hang on a second, while I adjust that, there we go, okay, beyond the Battle Royale, later on we will have a melee, melee, in which a number of warriors, usually wearing armor, will enter a fenced area and they battle each other. Doesn't matter who they fight, as long as they fight someone and put them on the ground. Once a person is knocked to the ground, they're out and whoever is left standing at the end of the melee is the one. Also, we will have single combat single combat is a one-on-one battle in which two men enter the enter the fenced area and as soon as one is knocked down, he's out, someone else comes in it could be the same guy who fights all, let's see how many of them are there, six we have six signed up for the single combat could be one man who fights all other five contestants or it could switch off each time a new uh, a new combatant enters enters the area. That should be an interesting uh, interesting battle. And of course, at the end we will have jousting. Jousting. We have one whole section. Oh, another big one. We have one whole section set aside for the lists where the horses will charge each other and the jousting will take place there. That will be later this evening, though. It just depends on how long uh, the other battles take, and how long it takes the uh, round's crew to clean up the bodies. (laughs) Anyway, we are looking at a great night for the entertainment. Uh, People are still coming in. Um, We have vendors selling all sorts of uh, banners and period food. We will have, uh, well, I don't know what else we're going to have. We may have some music, musicians, magicians, no, no, musicians, fool. We may have some musician musicians later on that will help out, uh, at least to uh, pass the time. Oh, lots and lots of excitement going on here. Ah, as I look around the, uh, the stadium here, I see, uh, the banners of many local and faraway houses. Uh, hundreds of people have come in for this opportunity to, uh, show their skill, and thousands of people are coming in to observe, and if, uh, If tonight turns out well, if people uh, really enjoy what they have to offer, then hopefully by God, or by the gods, we will be able to continue this type of entertainment. I certainly hope so. So, as I look out over the stadium, I see
3: banners
0: from uh, House Fernwood. Oh, wait, that was... House Grey Fern and House Thornwood. They're right together. I got them mixed up. Sorry. House Grey Fern, House Thornwood. Off on the other side, I see the banner for Castle Redhill. Banners for the Southern Marshes. And the banners for River Glen. So we have many, many houses and patrons here tonight. So it should be... An amazing amazing experience too bad you aren't here I'm here and I don't even believe it let's see how we're doing ah nice okay so as soon as things are about ready to go I will uh, get back on the horn here and we'll uh, we'll get us get us get us going Um, things are starting to pick up More and more people are entering the stadium, and uh, very soon now, hopefully, we will be able to get started. Don't go away. Actually, I'm going away, but you won't even notice it. So, I will be back shortly, and in the meantime, keep thinking good and bloody thoughts. Thanks. Okay, okay, I'm back, and I just wanted to uh, give you a little uh, soundbite here of some of the uh, action that's going on Uh, before we even get started with the uh, major show. We have so many people in here that are just really party and hearty here. Uh, Fireworks are going off everywhere. And, uh, I, I think that some people are doing are doing some things that are probably not quite safe. Um, I've seen a couple of people running, running around with, uh, umbrellas, upon which they have placed, uh, whoops, oh, nice one. Upon which they have placed fountains, you know, those little cone fountains that you can buy at the, uh, local fireworks displays and then they have someone light the fountain and they run around with all of these sparks and uh things falling down upon their umbrella now for the most part um umbrellas are made of flammable material and i think that uh when the damn thing catches on fire it's not going to offer you much protection so <clears throat> another big one and there it goes another one Oh boy people are having too much fun down here you should be here uh, unfortunately uh, you're not but perhaps uh, at another time if, if this is as successful as it appears we will certainly try to do this again in the near future because it looks like just too much fun and I hope that uh, no one gets too injured out there with the stupid fireworks we have paramedics standing by of course but those are mainly for our participants on the field therefore uh, it would be a shame to have to use them up just to take some silly fool to the hospital who set themselves on fire by accident. But, you know how people are. Anyway, soon now we should be able to uh, see the uh, combatants for the Battle Royale enter the field. And I think that, oh, in the meantime, I see a lot of people just really enjoying themselves down here, and we will up get right back to you as soon as we hear the 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 trumpets, which will herald trumpets will herald the arrival of the uh, combatants. So soon, hopefully, we will have that for you, and then the fighting will begin in earnest. All right. Hang in there. I will return in just a moment. Oh, another big one. Nice. Too much fun down here, guys. You're missing out on it. Okay, I'm back again, because soon now we should have uh, some action, other than from the fireworks and people screaming and everything. Alright, I'm back, and I can see the trumpeters lining up along the third baseline, that means that shortly, shortly we will have the announcement Ah, we will have the horns blowing, which will announce that the combatants will enter the field shortly. In the meantime, people are finally starting to settle down a little bit, but uh, well, they will as soon as the Under the field, I'm sure that would be the announcement. Or the calling by the heralds that it is time for the contestants to enter the field and you can tell by all the noise that oh that people are becoming very very happy and excited about this. okay the whoops the gates in the backfield I'm at the outfield rather the gates in the outfield are opening And here come the Vikings. And there is Greyhorn leading his troops out onto the field. The big man is carrying a huge battle axe. And he doesn't even have a shield. However, he does have around him four large Vikings with big shields and big spears. And that would, that would be his bodyguard. So anybody who wants to get close to Greyhorn would certainly have to go through these guys. And the Vikings take the field. This sounds just like a ball game, but it's actually going to be a much more exciting, bloody spectacle than just playing ball. crowd is uh, getting anxious now and gates are opening along the sidelines and here come the English troops out and the pikemen have come out onto the uh, third baseline and they're lining up their men, everyone is getting really excited now Their pikes are all pointed straight up into the air at the moment, but as soon as they decide on their battle plan, they will be pointed in the direction of either the Vikings or the German mercenaries, possibly both. All right, all right. Gates are opening up along the first baseline, and here come the German mercenaries. And crowd is going crazy now. Everyone is on the field. The Vikings are already lining up, they're setting up their uh, formation. This is usually the wedge formation with the leader right there in the front line. That would be Greyhorn. The uh, British Soldiers and the Germans are sort of milling about. They're going toward the infield, but they haven't actually decided, apparently, exactly how to set up. And uh, the Vikings have formed two edges two edges because they plan, apparently, to attack both the British and the Germans at the same time. But wait, 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 what's this now? Holy cow, we have treachery at the very beginning before the battle even starts. The Germans and the British soldiers are grouping together to form one battlefront against the Vikings. Good lord, they must have planned this and they're going to fight the Vikings together and apparently, whoever uh, is left after the Vikings are all gone, then they'll fight each other for the, for the title. The Vikings don't seem to like this very much. There's been a quick huddle, Greyhorn has made his decision. They're now forming up into one large wedge, nearly 150 massive, angry Vikings are getting ready to attack the combined British and German lines wait a minute, wait a minute, something else is happening now the British archers have come around to the back of the uh, German and British line the pikemen and Germans have lined themselves up looks like five deep with their spears and their pikes now lowered toward the Vikings. The archers have come around to the backside of this formation and they are preparing to launch a volley of arrows into the Viking ranks as they prepare for the attack, the Vikings are aware of what is about to happen, so they have raised their shields over their heads to protect themselves from the arrows which will be falling upon them shortly. The archers are now lined up behind the British and Germans, and as you can hear, the, uh, the crowd is just going crazy. Normally, the, uh, the longbow, which the uh, English are famous for, has anywhere between an 80 and 110 pound draw on that. I, I'm not real sure whether the uh, uh, British soldiers we have with us tonight would be able to handle a 100 pound draw on their bow. I suspect it's probably somewhat less than that since they're not going to be needing to send their arrows all that great a distance and okay the Vikings are lined up they have their shields raised and wait 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 something else is happening now all the British and German soldiers in the center of their formation have dropped down to one knee. So the archers now have a clear shot toward the Vikings without having to shoot up in the air. They're knocking their arrows and drawing back and they've loosed the arrows. Oh my god. Now some of the Vikings in the front of the formation, saw what was happening with the archers, and they were able to drop their shields, and they certainly protected Greyhorn, but many of the Vikings in the uh, backer backer rows, the the rows further back, I'm so excited here I can hardly talk, in the rows further back did not see the change taking place, and apparently they weren't able to pass that information along to their comrades. So, a number of Vikings have fallen to arrows from the British. At least three, maybe four of the Vikings are down. The wounds are not serious, but they are down on the ground. That means they're out of the fight. And the English bowmen are reloading. They're preparing for a second volley. Still... The Germans and British soldiers are down on their knee. Therefore, they, the, the archers still have a perfectly straight shot toward the uh, the Vikings, and they draw their arrows back and loose them again. Oh my god, another dozen arrows striking the Vikings. Two or three more Vikings have gone down, again with minor wounds, but that means they're out of the fight and wait a minute, wait a minute what's going on now? Ah! Several ranks of the German spearmen have started moving across the back of the formation of the British and Germans and they appear to be trying to flank the Vikings even though the fight hasn't started yet But now, apparently the Vikings have had enough of this. Greyhorn has lifted his giant axe and held it over his head, and with a tremendous roar of anger, the Vikings are on the move. As they come toward the line of British and Germans they're banging their swords and axes on their shields chanting and now the British and Germans are also moving forward now you have to understand that at this point the British have 12 foot pikes pointing toward the Vikings. Not just one row, but the soldiers behind the first row also have their pikes pointed toward the enemy. The same is true of the Germans. They have their spears leveled and they're marching forward. The second row, behind the first, Duh. their spears are, are over the shoulders of the men in front of them. So the Vikings are looking at a veritable pincushion of death as they come toward their opponent. Their opponents actually and and in just just a moment, yes, the very first contact is made. Vikings attack is a solid wall of flesh against hundreds of pikes and spears. They try to knock the spears, the points, the points out of the way with their with their swords and knock them aside with their shields. But because there's more than one row, they knock aside one spear, they knock aside one pike, and there's another one right there in their face. The Vikings are definitely getting the worst of this and there's nothing they can do about it because they just have no defense against such long, dangerous weapons. Bodies are piling up on the ground in front of the uh, British and the Germans as the Vikings are taking hit after hit. Even Greybeard is backing up now, starting to retreat a little bit as the uh, British and Germans continue their slow, slow advance, now having to step over bodies that are lying on the ground. I don't believe... wait, wait. Vikings are now throwing some of their axes at the oncoming enemy, and yes, yes, that is having some effect several several British are down one or two Germans but it's not enough to stem the tide the Vikings are being pushed back ever so slowly bloody hell there are bodies everywhere further and further back against the back backstop the Vikings are being pushed the gates are shut there's nowhere for them to go they either have to fight or die where they stand. The German, the German group that has gone around the side, off to the right, off to the right from where I'm standing, off to the right, is now attacking the flanks of the Vikings, and it is causing mayhem and peril within the ranks of the Vikings as more and more of them fall to the ground bodyguard around Greyhorn one of them is down and still they fight Vikings do not surrender easily but I think it's going to be a uh, foregone conclusion that the Vikings will lose this battle just depends on how many of them actually survive oh now it's now it's becoming a little more close combat but even with the spears and pikes everywhere Vikings are hacking away with their spears, I'm sorry with their swords and axes oh my god there's armor and and weapons flying everywhere people are dropping like flies and another one of Greyhorns bodyguards is down very few of the British And Germans, however, have received injuries, and it appears that Greyhorn is nearly alone now at the back back wall of the stadium. He has maybe a dozen or so warriors fighting valiantly but hopelessly against Spikes, Spikes, Pikes and spears. That's it. That's it. Greyhorn has been skewered. He's down and the rest of the Vikings, all six or seven of them, have surrendered. They've thrown down their weapons. And that will be the end of the Vikings. Now, however, the Germans quickly, quickly turn on the British because they, the Germans, had been holding back. They were back slightly from where the English soldiers had attacked. They gave themselves a little bit of leeway. Now the Germans wheel, wheel about, and come in from the side to attack the English. Not suspecting this treachery at least not so soon i suppose the british are confused and they've lost their cohesion there's some there are some fights going on individual fights but the germans are the germans are concentrating their attack and moving slowly onto the flank and now the rear of the British soldiers British are trying, the British are trying to uh, reform but so many of them had been facing the Vikings and now the Vikings are no longer a threat but the Germans have turned on them and swept nearly around in a semicircle. They have them all but pinned up against the wall. It doesn't look good for the British at this point.
3: And
0: it's hard to tell the the pikes and spears, you know. It's just like thrusting and pushing and twisting. Now, the Germans have shields with which they can turn aside the pikes, the British, unfortunately, do not have any such uh, counter weapon. With the long pikes, they need both hands to, to wield them. Therefore, once the spear gets past the pike, there's not much else they can do except drop their pikes and run and put their backs against the wall there's no place for them to go shortly shortly very soon more and more of them are down now, more and more of them are down the Germans have received very few wounded soldiers and as more and more of the English fall victim uh, the Germans encroach upon them and finally there the final few British soldiers have tossed their pikes to the ground and thrown up their hands, and that is it, ladies and gentlemen. The battle royale is finally over. The winners were the German missionaries. Good God. The German mercenaries. The crowd is going rather insane at the moment. Uh, They enjoyed that little bit of uh, uh, bloodshed and it'll take some time now to clear away the uh the bodies and the mess but very shortly we will get on with the next part of the program which should be should be the melee all right all right all right now now the bodies are being uh well, most of the bodies are just standing up and walking away because they weren't really uh, badly injured after all. But it looked good, and lots of people were knocked to the ground. Lots of nice, lots of nice sword fighting and battle injuries. So, it would appear that the crowd is pleased thus far. That's, uh, pretty much all that counts at this point. I'm very pleased. There was a wonderful show. <clears throat> and, uh, as people continue to celebrate here in the audience, uh, the grounds crew is working hard and quickly to, uh, repair the damage that was done and hopefully very soon we will get back to the action. Yes, yes! Don't go away, because there's still more to come. Okay, and as we wait for the uh, grounds crew to finish uh, cleaning up the uh, battle royale mess here I can uh, pass along a little more information to our listeners Um, it seems as if some of the uh, some of the fans are getting a little bit how to control with the fireworks. That may have to be suspended for uh, any further shows. But everyone's having a damn good time right now, and I think that's uh, that's what's important. So we can uh, let the festivities continue now, at least for the time being. And without further ado, we have part of the uh, fencing being set up now by the grounds crew for the uh, uh, melee and shortly then we will be the soldiers for that fight again melee that will be uh, a number of uh, soldiers in armor they will all enter the uh, fenced-in area at the same time, and they will battle each other until only one of them is left standing. So that should be a good show as well. Now, the fighters in uh, the general melee are not usually well-known knights, but are frequently squires and uh, younger men who wish to be knights someday, but need a little bit of practice and require occasional uh, well, practice at arms. Now practicing uh, at arms is course not it doesn't give you the same feeling as an actual uh, serious fight that's where the melees come in these guys are out there and they're really really trying to uh, take your head off so if you're going to be out there you're going to be technically fighting for your life therefore these guys are really working to win this because they do get a prize and they also get recognition uh, for their efforts. so I don't have the uh, actual names of too many of the uh, too many of the uh, fighters in the melee because they're usually unknown. Basically, until after the melee, and then we'll find out who the winner was. Was the winner was because there's only going to be one winner, regardless of how many people enter the fenced area. Only one emerges, kind of like the uh, Thunderdome deal, you know. Except they only had two, but we're going to have uh, I like think 16 or 18. Now I can't remember what it was, but it should be. A goodly fight. All right, fences are all set up. There are the trumpets announcing that the uh, melee is about to begin. And now we have the knights, or the men in armor, um, entering the field and making their way over to the fenced-in area. This is located right in the center of the outfield. So it's all flat area, no one will have an advantage. everyone will enter the fenced-in area and the fence will be closed and locked and no one comes out until there's only one man standing. Yes, and now you can hear the people expression so the warriors are coming out of their respective places and moving toward the fenced area. And as they enter, they will separate and each pick their own spot. Some will go directly to the center of the the fenced area, others will work on the the edges. It just depends on how comfortable they are as to where they will start their fight. so we now have let's see Yep, eighteen there are eighteen gentlemen out there with their large uh... swords two-handed swords in many cases some carry small shields and a one-handed sword others have maces axes whatever their favorite weapon may be they are all wearing helms breastplates armor of their own choosing, their own design, many times. So, they're preparing themselves now.
3: And
0: any moment, we will begin the melee. Let's see. We have just about... Time to start. And welcome back, everyone. It's Reaper Rick back at you again, uh, also known as Lord Stanton. De Wolfhart von Schwarzwald. Back in for the second half of the. Uh, big show here. I uh, ran too long, I guess, and we had to run it on uh, two separate podcasts, so we were just about ready to get started with the melee. I think we can do that without any further ado. If you remember, if you were listening last week, we have 18 men in armor in a large fenced-in area. soon as they get the as soon as they get the go signal they will begin attacking each other it's a basic free-for-all everyone fighting everyone else until only one man is left standing and i think they're just about ready everyone is positioned themselves they're all on guard as it were There's the signal, ladies and gentlemen, and the fight has begun. Oh boy, they are going at each other. Oh my god. Smashing each other over the head. Both across the back. One man is down. Two men are down. As soon as as soon as one combatant strikes down someone, they turn on the next man. Even if he's fighting someone else, they'll turn on them, and it looks as if at least couple of uh, the combatants have joined forces and, and they are working together to fight everyone else oh and there's another pair off in the far corner <clears throat> that happens periodically people will work together to uh take out the uh the lesser the lesser warriors and then they themselves will fight each other. That's that's the way uh, that's the way it's done. Okay, four men are down, five, and the two pair are meeting up against two, sometimes three, other warriors. The uh, ah, the battle is definitely, definitely a serious clash of weaponry. And there goes another man down. Once they're down, they're out. They have to stay down until the end of the melee, but they can no longer fight. Another man is down. Okay, another man is down, Two. The, 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 the two pair are fighting at opposite ends of the, uh, the fenced area at the moment. Oh, but... Oh! Working together, they can take out more more other combatants easy, more easily I cannot even talk there's so much going on I can't can't even see how. oh, everything oh, man's helmet just was flung from his head and he was struck over the head with the flat of the sword that man is down and out now there's only about what, I can't even count, eight left there are bodies laying all over the field the two pair are still working together against everyone else and they seem to be doing a fairly good job of thinning out the field for for themselves and oh another man is down that looks like his leg was taken out from under him the battle is intense this can go on for several minutes it just depends on who has the most stamina and the most skill oh another man is down and another man now 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 it's just the two pair the two pair are facing off against each other now now they're being a little more careful now they have to be careful and the clash begins one strike one strike strike hit they're blocking and parrying crazily they're still They still have the energy to carry on oh well, there goes down one man now the single guy is fighting two at once and that won't last very long and oh he takes a hit to the shoulder and another one to the head and he's down now the two remaining combatants are facing off against each other. And no doubt they're tired. They're carrying they're circling each other now waiting to see who is going to make the first mistake. There they go. There they go. There they go. Attacking, attacking. Carry here. Attack there. Ah, a leg wound on the first man, but he's still up, he's still up, he's still fighting off, he's got a small sword, but oh, I'm sorry, a small shield with his sword, the other man is using a two-handed sword, and he's swinging it like a baseball bat, back and forth, back and forth, and he caught the shield, and it's gone, now the man with the injured leg has a shorter sword, and he's defending himself valiantly, but he cannot, he will not be able to withstand the tremendous blows as they rain down upon him, and he's down to one knee and the second knee, and his sword is knocked from his hand, and he begs for mercy, and we have a winner in the melee. All right, we have a winner in the melee. I'm not sure who that is at this point, but we will find out later on. That went quickly. That went a lot more quickly than I thought, but that just means we had some very good fighters in the in the melee tonight. All right. So with that out of the way, as soon as they get the uh... the bodies cleaned up and all of the excess broken armor cleared off the field the area, the fenced in area will be made a little bit smaller for the individual the individual combat And with that, let me see if I have names on some of that for you here. Oh, I do indeed, I do indeed. Single combat. Again, oh dear God. Again, that will be a one-on-one battle. Uh, As soon as one combatant is knocked to the ground, he is out. The winner stays in the ring or the fenced area and another combatant enters and they fight and so on until there's only one man left standing. Let me see. The first two who will take uh, the, uh, the, the area there, the place where they fight, whatever the hell it's called, Uh, we have, uh, six signed up for that, so that means, um, there will be six fights. Uh, let's see, Guy of Rosewood is up first due to a random lot. Uh, Guy of Rosewood will fight against Rod Talltree. Okay, don't know these guys personally, but... They will show us their stuff here in just a moment. Um, the winner of that, that fight will have to go up against um, Cal Snodgrass. Cal Snodgrass, well, I'm not familiar with that name at all. And the winner of that battle will fight against uh, Sanborn Holstein. And again, the winner of that fight will go against Maltax sooner, and the last combatant to enter the uh, fenced-in area for the one-on-one combat will be Holbrook Gustav. So we have a a group of basic unknowns, to me at least. I'm sure somebody knows who they are. But they will be fighting
3: uh,
0: one-on-one in full armor, and with uh, sharpened weapons. And the winner of that will again uh, be rewarded for their effort. Yes, indeed. So, let's see, how are we doing down there on the field? We're good, we're good. Okay, they have uh, pulled in the fenced area. It's a smaller area now, but they still have room to move about. But it's basically the same kind of uh, one-on-one fight uh, a knight would experience if he were on the battlefield. They have room to move about, but they don't have anywhere to go except to uh, either fight or die, or surrender. At that point, whichever they decide is better for them. All right. And there is the sign, the sound of the trumpets, indicating that the first match is ready. So entering the arena now will be, let me see, I already forgot their names. I gotta go back and look at my notes here. Uh, okay, Guy, Guy of Rosewood. And uh, Talltree. So it's Rosewood against Talltree in this one. <clears throat> Rosewood, it seems, is uh, polished armor and is carrying a uh, goodly two handed sword tree on the other hand is using a large mace and a large shield now in this in this battle they can use whatever weapons they, they wish um, it just depends on again what they are most familiar with and what they feel most comfortable with so we have rosewood with a two-handed sword and this sword is Easily three and a half or four feet long, and tall tree with the mace and shield. They've both entered the arena, the fenced-in area now, and they're sizing each other up. Any moment now, we get our first contact, and there they go, clashing. Oh! Broadsword. Broadsword has a distinct reach advantage, but um, Talltree has the shield to protect him, and he has the mace to come across. Once the once the sword is blocked, this can go on for some time: slashing, pounding, backing up, charging forward, pushing with the shield. He pushes. He pushes Rosewood off. Rosewood takes a wild swing and just misses the man. Oh, tall Tree's head. Whoa. And then they come at, it, come at it again. A powerful blow from Tall tree's mace. Oh! Lands on uh, Rosewood's shoulder. It seems to injure him slightly, but not enough to slow down his attack he's still got both hands on the hilt of his sword and he swings it mightily now aiming for the head he sweeps down and catches one of Talltree's legs knocks it out from under him man's down on one knee now still blocking the sword thrusts with his shield and swinging the mace but Rosewood gets around behind him catches the shield, flings it away, and comes down across the back of his neck with his big sword, and Tall Tree is done. Tall Tree is out. Rosewood, possibly injured in the left shoulder, but still able to hold the field. As they pull away, uh... Talltree. Rosewood has a moment to gain his breath, but the next combatant, Cal Snodgatz, is entering the fenced-in area now. Talltree is out. Snodgrass and Rosewood are now facing off against each other. Snodgrass is using a shield and sword as well, and Rosewood already defeating one, one man who had the same, well he had a mace and shield, this guy has a sword and shield. Even so, Rosewood is being careful, possibly because of his injured shoulder. He's moving around to the right, so Snodgrass does not have access to his wounded shoulder, or at least his damaged shoulder at this point. And the first swing... The first swing comes from Rosewood. A mighty swing that would have taken off Snodgrass's head, had his head actually been there. Spins him clear around. Snodgrass attacks from behind, but... Rosewood is no fool. He drops his sword over over his back. And... Snodgrass's sword bounces off his his two-handed blade, giving Rosewood a chance to move away. Now he's trying to jab and keep Snodgrass away from him. Snodgrass is parrying the blows with his shield and swinging his own shorter sword and not quite managing to land a blow because of the discrepancy in the blade lengths. But he's still trying. He's advancing, pushing Rosewood back. It's hard to tell whether Rosewood is actually injured or whether he's just toying with Snodgrass. But he's backing up, backing up, almost to the fence edge. What happens when he gets there, I have no idea. So he's almost up against the fence, and he trips! He he stumbled again in the grass. Snodgrass attacks, but... Oh my god, it was a feint. Rosewood did not really fall. He only pretended to. And now... ah, Rosewood did not really trip. He merely pretended to, to draw Snodgrass in. And with a mighty blow... of the young knight. He knocks him to the ground. Snodgrass is down and out. It's win number two for Rosewood. Rosewood. Rosewood has won two battles in a row now he steps back and leans against the fence to catch his breath when Snodgrass is out of the area the next fighter will come in and that will be Sanborn Holstein whoa here comes Sanborn and he's a big boy he's got himself a two handed sword as well so this will be a somewhat even match, in the, at least in the in the weapons aspect, although we must remember that Rosewood has already fought two battles, so he may be tired, he may be injured. We, we don't know at this point. He's still putting up a good front. <clears throat> Holstein has entered the in fence- Area and Snotgrass is out. So Holstein and Rosewood are now facing each other. Holstein, of course, is rested and ready to go. He's holding his—he's holding his sword straight out. Rosewood, more tired, of course. He's holding his sword up over his head. Come at each other! Oh, quickly, quickly! They come at each other. Holstein, Holstein, swings his sword around, brings it down across his body, and it is blocked by Rosewood's own blade. Back and forth now, swinging, blocking, swinging, blocking. Um, it's 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 very difficult when we, we both have the same weapon to really get an edge in unless somebody makes a terrible mistake. So, for the time being, we have two what appears to be equally talented warriors swinging at each other, and clash of their swords is a mighty rigging. Again and again they clash, they come at each other, they're Large blades whistling through the air and again, again and again, they are blocked. One is blocked and then the other is blocked. Overhead, sidearm, across the back. They spin around and they're still swinging. Rosewood is definitely, is definitely tiring. His blows are slower. And Holstein is able to block them more easily. It's hard to say exactly who could win this one, but oh there's a big blow. Holstein went after the left shoulder again and now it appears that... uh, uh, what's his name? Rosewood. Rosewood. It appears that Rosewood is not able to grasp his sword with his left hand as well as he used to using a two-handed sword with one hand is no easy trick but he's still blocking he's still blocking the blows of Holstein and as they move in closer and closer Holstein is pounding 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 on him and he's blocking it oh he's down on one knee now and he's, he's still blocking the blows however it appears that Holstein will eventually be able to crush, crush Rosewood, and as his arm get, we, gets weaker and weaker, Rosewood's sword dips lower and lower until finally, ah, uh, he he's dropped his sword. Rosewood has dropped his sword. That will be the end of the fight. Rosewood is out. He won two battles, but could not win the third. Holstein is now the champion in the pit. And let's see who's up next. Holstein appears to be still in good shape. Doesn't appear to be at all winded. Although the last few swings of his sword must have taken something out of him. We have Maltek Sooner Against Holstein. Against Sanborn Holstein. Sanborn Holstein and Maltech Sooner coming up now. Rosewood has walked off the field. Dejected, but still he did win two battles. Holstein is now looking toward his next opponents whose name I already forgot. Sooner. Holstein and Sooner. We now have Holstein and Sooner. Holstein again is working with his, uh, two-handed sword. Let's see, uh, Maltech. Oh, there he comes. Maltech is coming in with a, a mace. A mace. Mace and a shield. Interesting choice against, uh, Two-handed sword. You see, the uh, the people that come along later in the fights, they can they can tell what weapon their opponent is going to be using, so they can they can choose the weapon accordingly. Now, a shield is of course a, a good choice, but uh, against the longer two-handed sword, I'm not. Oh dear, I'm not quite sure that a mace is what is what's required here, but. Good. Holy crap! Could be that sooner knows what he's doing. Let's hope so for his sake. All right, all right. They're both in the center of the uh, Finston area now. Once again, uh, Holstein has his sword pointed toward Sooner. Sooner has oh, Sooner has his shield extended out toward Holstein. And his mace is swinging loosely back and forth in his right hand. And the attack—they attack. they attack Folstein attacks first, swings the sword, the same attack that he started with on Rosewood. This this time, however, uh, Sooner has a shield. He's able to block that blow, although it was it was a ringing blow, for sure, and his mace comes over the top as he pushes Holstein's sheet, as he pushes his sword out of the way, his mace comes over the top and just misses Holstein's head, oh my god, he's going to have to watch out for that now, a blow from that mace would easily crush his helm and cause some serious damage to this cranium, players backed away from each other now and are circling again. Holstein I'm sure is being a little more careful, giving second thoughts now perhaps to his attack plan. Now he raises his sword up a little bit over his head and starts swinging it and he's coming in for the attack. Once again Sooner has his shield up and then drops as Holstein gets closer and Swings the mace at his leg and connects with his left leg. Oh, Holstein backs out of the way, but he's limping now. That could be a bad sign. Holstein backs away carefully, his sword now pointed straight at Sooner again. Sooner circles, warily, going to the left going to Holstein's left that is because that's where his injury is he knows enough to go for the injured part of his opponent Holstein is swinging his sword lazily just keeping Sooner at bay at this point Sooner no doubt is waiting for an opening Holstein stops his 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 sideways. Holstein stops his movement and waits now, hoping that Sooner will try to attack him, knowing that with the longer reach of his sword he will have the more the better advantage. The better advantage. Come on, boy, think here. So here that comes. Here it comes. Yes. Oh, Sooner attacks. He swings, but it's a feint as Holstein goes to block the mace with his longer sword. The mace doesn't meet the sword, instead, oh dear god, it comes down and again strikes his left leg. Oh, this time it buckles under, but he's back up on one leg and barely one leg. Holstein is up on one leg. He's still hurrying with his sword to keep keep Sooner away from him, but I don't think that he has much of a chance anymore unless by some miracle he can cut through the shield and score a blow with the point of his sword. He's backing away, backing away, hopping basically. And now Sooner attacks again. He looks like he's going for the same leg, but no, this time, ah, he spins around. And as Holstein attempted to block the blow, a low blow with his sword, Sooner came around and hit the other leg. Ah, ah, Holstein is crippled now. He can barely stand up. He's still trying to keep keep Sooner off of him, but he can't turn very well. He can't maneuver at all anymore. It looks as if all Sooner has to do is get around behind him and take out one leg, and Holstein uh, will be down. So there he goes. He quickly, quickly moves behind him, and as... Holstein tries to spin, loses his balance, and Sooner's mace takes out his legs from under him, and Holstein is down. So, Holstein is down, Sooner, Sooner is the winner of this contest. Alright, Holstein is out. He won one battle, gave a valiant fight, ah, but was beaten down by Sooner and his mace. Sooner now takes the center stage in the arena and his opponent will be Holbrook, Holbrook Gustav. This will be, this will be the last match So whoever wins this one, even if it's the newcomer Gustav, he will be declared the winner. So this is all important for both Sooner and Gustav. Because only one of them will be able to be declared the winner. All right, Holstein has been helped away. Is that Holstein? Oh, Holstein has been helped out of the area, Gustav has entered, and we're getting ready for the final single combat match. As I look around, uh, the audience is just uh, aghast, I think at, uh, what they've been seeing so far tonight, and we're not, not, not nearly over with yet. All right, we have Gustav, and, shit, forgot his name already, Gustav, and the winner from the last one, Sooner, of course, Sooner, Sooner and Gustav, Sooner and Gustav, Gustav apparently has, uh, got a shield and a sword, short sword. So, this could be a well-matched pair. They each have a shield and a weapon. The weapons are about the same length. So, gentlemen look about the same size, although it's sometimes hard to tell when they're wearing armor. But they each have a shield, they each have a weapon. Should be an interesting battle, and they are squaring off, facing each other in the center of the arena of the fenced-in area. I call it an arena. All right, alright, right there, they go. They're <coughs> moving in closer, and now this, this, this should be interesting. They can each block the other's swing, regardless of whether it be sword or mace, They each have a stout shield. They can block your opponent's attacks, so it will be a, a real test of skill, I think, this time to see who is going to come out on top of this battle. As we, uh, as we watch, they're still circling each other. There are feints here and there, but nobody has really thrown the first deadly blow yet. And, oh, there it goes, there it goes. It was Sooner with his mace. It was easily blocked off of, uh, off of the shield of crap, uh, whatever the hell that guy's name is. Sanchez, no, Gustav, Gustav, sorry. Wrong country. Gustav, Gustav blocks the mace and swings his sword in return, and it is blocked. So, this is pretty much what we're going to seeing, I think, from these two guys. They're going to be swinging and blocking each other pretty much every time it's going to be a question of somebody getting lucky and somebody getting tired to see who's going to win this battle. So they keep sparring, sparring a swing and a block, another swing and a block. It's just going to be, oh, a bloody bloody battle this time. Whoever has the most stamina, the best cardio is going to be, is going to come out on top of this one. They're still swinging at each other, they're still blocking. Oh, that one, that one, that one hurt. That, that was the mace, and it came down hard on the shield. You can only take so much pounding on that one arm before it becomes weak, weaker, and it, can't hold up as much against the pounding pressure anymore. Gustav, his arm is uh, possibly becoming tired or or it could be a faint as uh, Sooner comes in, comes in for blow after blow. Gustav is backing away and suddenly his sword comes up and attacks the shield of sooner well he didn't attack the shield he attacked his head but he put the shield up to protect his head you know how that goes back and forth now oh my god look at that one that was a close one um, over and over repeated repeated blows against shield and sword bloody 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 hell all right banging, banging, banging against each other. Again, that is Sooner pounding on Gustav's shield and protecting himself against the sword with his own shield. I would I would think that the mace would have a little more power coming in against the shield because most of its weight is contained at the end where the... Uh, the heavy ball is with the spikes on it or whatever. I can't quite tell what he's got on that one. Whereas the sword has a longer longer surface area. So the weight might not be as difficult for sooner to... Oh! There's another big hit. That shield is becoming a bit shredded at this point, even though it's made of metal.
3: Oh.
0: Ah, good one. Now time. Sooner is pounding and pounding and pounding on the shield of Gustav, and there's not a whole lot Gustav can do about it. He's trying to block with his sword as well, but if he does that, it leaves his whole right side open, and Sooner can just as easily swing that, swing that mace across his body and, and come down on the right side of Gustav's body, back and forth across they're going. Gustav himself has landed a few good blows but always against the shield of Sooner. Nobody has landed a a good solid body blow yet but Sooner is continuing to pound against that shield and as the shield as his arm gets tired more tired and more tired speak English properly here as Gustav's arm becomes more and more tired. His shield is dropping lower and lower. Oh my god there it is. He got got him in the side of the head. Sooner landed a mace blow against the side of Gustav's helmet. Gustav was stunned by that. He reeled a little bit but he is still on his feet and he's got his shield back up again covering his head. And now, now Sooner is pounding on the shield again, pounding on... Oh, now he goes for the leg. As soon as that shield was raised to protect his head, Gustav's head, Gustav's head, Sooner went for the leg, the left leg, and he cut... Oh, God, he caught him a good blow on the left leg. He, He had to hop back on his on his one good leg and still keep the shield up he's swinging his sword back and forth trying to keep Sooner away from him and yet Sooner is still coming, he doesn't seem to have lost much of his energy at all he's still got his sword held high, or, uh, his shield held high and the mace is coming over over the top of his head to pound, pound pounding on Gustav's shield. And he gets around the shield this time and catches him in the shoulder. Ah! That makes the shield drop even lower. Gustav is, uh, getting the worst of this battle, it looks like. He's backing away, still swinging, swinging the sword, but Thus far, Sooner has been able to block all of those blows with his shield, and I don't think he's been struck a good blow at all yet. Again and again on the shield, on the shield, on the arm. Oh no! His arm is dropping down. That time he caught him right between the neck and the shoulder with that big mace. Okay that staggered Gustav and I don't think he's going to have much left in him this time. <clears throat> Gustav is definitely getting the worst of this battle. Sooner is coming at him. His shield is still high. Gustav is backing up. He's limping. His the shield is low. He's trying to protect himself with only his sword. Gustav comes in swinging and catches him—a good one on the left arm again. Ah. Okay, Gustav has dropped his arm. The shield is no longer, no longer protecting him at all. And that's it. Gustav Gustav has dropped to one knee and held up his hand. His sword down. That's it. Fight is over. And Sooner has won. Sooner has won the single single combat. And he did it by defeating two two contestants. And he did it very well. So. I think that, uh, we can all be very proud of, uh, Mr. Sooner, Mr. Sooner, Mr. Sooner, Mm -hmm. whose first name was, what? Maltech, Maltech Sooner. All right. He's the winner of our one-on-one combat. And as they clear the field of that, it will take a little while longer now to get this, uh, the next, uh, uh, a bit of uh, entertainment set up which will be the joust. i will have to set up the, uh, the lists and uh, get, the, get the knights and their horses ready. So, it will be just a few minutes. They'll, Grant's crew will come out and, and again try to uh, clean up the area, take the fences down, Situate the, the lists and we'll be back as soon as that whole situation is ready. Alright? Don't go away. Okay, we're back now. They have the lists set up for at least the first uh, jousting match. Um, And let me give you just a little bit of background about what you're going to see here. Well, what some of you are going to see. We have knights in uh, armor uh, coming at each other with uh, lances. Uh, The purpose is to either hit the other knight's shield or... More preferably, is to knock him off his horse. Uh, they will have three passes at each other. A uh, scoring is done by touch, broken lance, and uh, unhorsing somebody. So if If the tip of the lance, it must be the tip of their lance, if the tip of their lance touches the shield of the other knight and glances off, that counts as one point. If, however, the lance strikes the shield and breaks, or shatters the the lance, that is, not the shield, that counts as five points. If a knight is unhorsed by his opponent's lance and it must must strike the shield to unhorse him it can't strike his head or <clears throat> any other part of his body if the knight is unhorsed his opponent receives ten points the person with the higher score at the end of three passes is obviously the winner now if hang on if by some slim chance or mistake a horse is hit with the lance then the knight is disqualified Um, the horses themselves wear armor they are heavily protected and padded but even so on occasion uh, a horse will be hit by a lance tip (coughs) If that does happen, even accidentally, then the, uh, perpetrator, the one that hit the horse, is disqualified. And the other knight wins automatically by forfeit <coughs> or disqualification. So, what we have coming up ahead of us here is, uh, uh, let's see, Sir Henry of Greyfern, House Greyfern, who is a, uh, young knight. Thank you. We'll go against uh, Sir Montgomery of Castle Red Hill. That was Castle Red Hill. In case you didn't hear me, so Montgomery is a seasoned knight. He has won many a tournament, and uh, he's the odds-on favorite to win this joust. But you never know. Sometimes it's not. Uh, the number of times you've jousted it, uh, there's always a bit of skill and luck involved, so if the young, young Sir Henry manages to uh, do well, he has every opportunity to win this. All right. That's the signal for the Knights to enter the uh, tournament field and here they come. Sir Sir Montgomery is at the, uh, the right side of the field. He's in pretty much all black. Black and red, it looks like, are his colors for Castle Red Hill, I guess. And uh, Sir Henry will be entering the field from the left. His colors appear to be all silver. Silver and white, maybe? I can't quite tell from this this vantage point. Let's just say silver. So, again, there will be three passes. They will have a uh, new lance for each pass. Even if they don't score a touch or break the lance, they will get a new lance for each pass. That's just the rules. All right, their horses are being led up to the start point. Squires are handing forth their lances. They've, they've each nodded and saluted each other. There They are ready to go. A herald has entered onto the list area with a... Uh, Green flag, as soon as he drops that flag, both horses. And these are big horses, by the way. These are these are war horses. Uh, they're not your usual little thoroughbreds or anything. These guys are big. <coughs> all right, all right. The herald is ready, he has his flag up. And he drops and they go. They come charging down the lists. They couch their lance they're coming toward each other and okay we have a touch on Sir Mortimer's Mortimer's Montgomery I'm sorry bloody hell these names we have a touch for Sir Montgomery and a clean miss for Sir Henry that means that uh, Sir Montgomery has a one-point advantage at this at this time, and they have uh, turned their horses about. Squires are handing them a new lance. They've nodded their their readiness. The uh, the herald is in the middle of the list with his green flag raised, and we are ready for the second pass. He drops the flag, and here they come. The horses are charging down the lists. And the lances are couched. Oh, it looks as if Sir Henry is coming up in his stirrups a little bit, and oh, yes, he catches Sir Montgomery's lance. I'm sorry, his shield. And it breaks. He broke his lance against Sir Montgomery. Montgomery, however... Had a touch, so he will get one point, and Sir Henry will get five points for a broken lance. Didn't come near to unseating Sir, whatever the hell his name is—I don't even remember. Didn't come close. The Black Knight—we'll just call him the Black Knight. Did not unseat him. Did not come close to unseating him. But his lance did break against the Black Knight's shield. Therefore, Sir Henry gets five points. Black Knight gets one for a touch score is now 5-2 to two in favor of Sir Henry. Oh, I can tell from even from here that uh, the Black Knight is furious. <clears throat> he tosses his lance aside and demands another lance. Uh, no, he waves off the lance. The squire was bringing him and points to a separate one, another one. Meanwhile, Sir Henry is uh, down at his end of the list. He's turning his horse around. His horse is excited, obviously, you can tell, mm. <coughs> he, <coughs> he's having a little trouble keeping his horse in line here, the Black Knight has has chosen his lance, he's crouched it, and oh my god, the Black Knight is charging down the list, and Sir Henry's not even ready someone is, has told Sir Henry what's going on. He's turned his horse around and he's charging down the list as well without a lance. Sir Henry has no lance. This, this could be deadly. As they approach the Black Knight raises up in, in the this, in this stirrups and his lance is pointing directly at Sir Henry, but Sir Henry ducks, he flies down across his horse, he ducks down, and the lance passes clean over him, and now he sits up on his horse again, and the crowd goes wild. The Black Knight has is furious, he tosses his lance aside, wheels his horse around, and draws his sword. Now, it is really becoming a dangerous situation. Sir Henry has turned his horse at the end of the list, and he sees that the Black Knight is charging him on horseback with his sword raised, oh no, 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 now people are, now oh, people are coming out trying to stop the Black Knight's horse, <coughs> and yes, yes, we have a disqualification, we have a disqualification here, the Black Knight has been disqualified, Oh, that was close. That was close. That could have been a bloody mess. All right. Sir Henry is declared the winner by disqualification, although he uh, probably would have won just just on points alone, At you know, from, from, where, from where I'm sitting. Um, the Black Knight has been disqualified and is still arguing and fighting with the judges and the people who are trying to calm him down calm his horse down. But that, that joust is over. It was unfortunate that it had to end that way. Black Knight has been disqualified and will be I don't know, taken away. Done something with. And Sir Henry was declared the winner of that joust. That means that Sir Henry, excuse me, will fight another he will joust a second time against let me see uh, he will joust against sir hambley sir hambley of the southern marshes okay We will have a second joust just as soon as they clear the mess up from uh, the Black Knight's little temper tantrum. that means that the second joust is ready to begin and it will be Sir Henry against, uh, ah, crap, what did I say his name was? Somebody help me here. Guy from the Southern Marshes, I don't know any of these people. Anyway, so it's the Southern, Southern Marches against Greyfern Houses and we have them at their respective ends of the lists. They've each received their lance.
3: <clears throat>
0: and there are they are preparing now to advance. The, uh, uh, Harold has gone out to the center of the list area with his green flag. He looks both ways. Both knights nod to each other to acknowledge the fact that they're ready to go drops the flag and the horses come down to this They are charging hard this time. Sir Henry's horse is very excited and they, they they meet with a huge blow Oh, and the guy from the Southern Marches is knocked off his horse and he's on the ground. Sir Henry has unhorsed him with one blow and course his lance was broken so he gets the 10 points for unhorsing and we now have to wait and see if the knight from the southern marches is able to return to the list if I I didn't mention this I guess I forgot but um, if a knight is unhorsed and he cannot return to the saddle within 10 minutes that man is defeated and Sir Henry will win another joust so we have uh, medics and uh, trainers out looking at the, uh, the uh, poor guy from the southern marches uh, they're taking his helmet off, talking to him I Can't tell from here whether he's responding or not. That was a good solid hit though it, it and When you hit the ground coming off one of those big horses with you know 60 pounds of armor on your body You hit the ground pretty damn hard. Let me tell you so Let's see Okay, we have a signal now <clears throat> That would indicate that uh, ooh The knight from the southern marshes is not able to return to the saddle. Therefore, Sir Henry wins again. So, Sir Henry is the winner of both jousts. And I'm afraid that that is going to end. Oh, that was the ending! I'm sure. How is the sound effects for the end of the show? we are going to have to call it quits here for our live broadcast from uh, Wolfhart Arena. I, I hope that everyone listening enjoyed it as much as I did, because it was a great show. And if uh, it goes over well, we may, may try to do another one. It's been summer, summer coming on and everything, we've got longer days, and we have plenty of people who are interested in this type of activity. So there shouldn't be any problem at all getting people to come out and try to kill each other. (laughs) Ha ha! So, I'm going to sign off now, shortly, and wish you all uh, the best, and hope you enjoyed the show, because I had a hell of a good time, and hope I can do it again, because it was just so much damn fun. So, let me know what you think of the show, and... Hopefully we can do it again. All right? In the meantime, be careful out there and watch out for those big horses with guys in shiny armor and spears and stuff. Because they, it's mean people. All right.
3: All right. Good night,
1: everyone. You know, we had always wanted to do more. Uh, of those type of shows, because it was just so much fun. It was a lot of work, you know, putting in the sound effects and whatnot. But, uh, you know, Rick or Terry, Terry D. Shearer, who was Re- Reaper Rick, uh, he's no longer with us. But his, his legacy through audio and his writing will continue on forever. And unfortunately, we never got uh, to do another one of these, but... You know what, this 23 and 24 is classic, so it'll always be remembered as a classic episode. Okay, kids, we are rounding the corner here for the final uh, pick of the night for episode 50 of Flashback Fridays. So let's see, I'm going to have Zoe pull out one more episode here. Oh, well, it looks like it's gonna be another Sadie Burbank episode, but this time it is
2: one in Burbank number thirteen.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it's gonna be another Sadie episode. That's that's gonna be good. This one is called Finding Influence, released originally in March nineteenth, twenty thirteen. Sadie tells us, including Dave, what her creative influences were from the nineteen sixties, seventies, and eighties, then debuts a new segment in the show called burbank backstories all right kids this is gonna be good this is gonna be a long episode i bet uh so go ahead and put your feet up and hear what sadie has to include us in about her creative influences welcome to win burbank i'm david k montoya
4: and i am miss sadie burbank
1: well normally I, i bring into how are you doing but since we're still here at the same recording
4: this is a podcast number two in the same night, on account of we missed last week, on account of your family, we're all, uh, not all, but mostly dying of the flu, <laughs> Yeah, not really, but sick, anyhow. Now all better, except for one. Mom is sick now.
1: Yes. Poor baby.
4: <clears throat> but she'll, she'll be well soon.
1: Yeah, so. she'll, she'll be up and around. Um, we spent some time, because you were talking about a zombie movie. Mm-hmm. And we spent the last at least what forty minutes. Yeah,
4: almost an hour
1: looking for the movie. Unfortunately, we can't find Didn't it. Didn't
4: find it yet, but I will. I will spend some time this week looking for that thing.
1: So, episode fourteen. We're, we're hoping. Hopefully, will have, an have
4: that. Or if anybody, well, it'll be too late because this won't come out yet. Right. For somebody to email me and say the name of the movie is. Right. Unless I don't find it, in which case, yeah, if you know, if you listen to the last podcast and you know what movie I'm talking about, which would just be absolutely freaking miraculous if you did. <laughs> but if you do, email us or put uh, put it on the comment section yes. of the podcast. And, uh, and then, because if, if I don't find it on my own at home, at least we'll have that. And then we'll be. Our brains won't be so taxed.
1: I was going to say mushed, but taxed is better. Yeah,
4: mushed and then taxed. Uh, Let's not say taxed. It's too close to tax
1: I I already paid my taxes.
4: Oh, yeah. I know I've got to pay this year, so... uh, I'm waiting until the last minute. Anyway.
1: Um, One of the things that I wanted to talk about... uh, how do I how do I go into this? I think I attempted to try and talk about this um, a few episodes and then we kinda got sidetracked. It was it was I'm one not of surprised. it was one of our really um, ah, what's the word I I'm kinda brain dead, folks, I apologize. But anyway, uh, one of the, the things we were talking about, and I wanted to talk to you, is as a person who has experienced the 60s, the 70s and the 80s um, with that culture mm-hmm. what what do you think I'm going to put a little spin on this so it won't be the same thing as last time Okay. what do you think what culture, what time reference do you feel influenced you creatively there's my little spin yeah. where do you think mm. that would pull where do you pull from you know, what lessons learned mm. and what time frame? Or does it even go before that?
4: Well, I guess I've always had some creativity about me. Right. Um, there, there was a time when I first married my first husband where my creative uh, efforts were not appreciated by him hmm. specifically. He used to say things like, I would make something, I don't know what, let's see, let's see, what what did I do? I made a, um, let's say, a uh, flower arrangement isn't fair because he was a florist, so I can't use that as an example. Uh, but uh, just something I would do around the house that, that was extra and above, you know and like maybe decorate the table nicely or something like that right and his comment would be loving hands at home which was a denigrating comment purposefully on his part really yeah Uh, because he um oh i don't know it's like it's like when when you read in magazines how to make a lamp out of an old shoe for example right um you know, which in itself could be a talent, you know. It's not easy to make a lamp out of an old shoe and make it look good. But that would be his comment about it. Loving hands at home. Like, yeah, okay, that's, that's nice for an amateur. Yeah, it was. It, it's hard to explain the feeling that it gave me. Uh, it, it didn't express appreciation. It didn't express um, anything good.
1: Right.
3: Okay. And
4: consequently, I got to the point where I wouldn't do those kinds of things. I would defer to him. If we had a party coming up, he decorated for the party. If, um, like, we made this, this thing one time. That kid, God bless them, the kids had to get rid of it. They hated it. <laughs> but we took, we went to... Um, hardware stores and places like that, Uh and we got all kinds of wooden objects, small ones. And then we took this huge board, about three by five piece of wood, and glued them onto this piece of board in what was considered to be fairly artistic pattern. You know, nothing specific, very, uh, what is the word when it's not specific?
3: Mm, I
4: can't think of it. Anyhow, um, and and that sat above the fireplace in the family room for, good God, 40 years probably. Really? Like, oh yeah. The kids, like I said, the kids had to get rid of it. When when he died, the kids and the older son inherited the house, and he and the younger son got rid of that thing. They hated it. <laughs> they hated it. But we always appreciated. And it was little things like like drawer pulls and and drawer knobs and and other cutesy wooden things that you could identify in their proper place but taking taking them out of that context and putting them in a piece of artwork made them look special and different and then you know we uh, (laughs) um lacquered it and stuff like that so it was really kind of pretty but uh like a macrame, you know what macrame is. Yes. Okay, well if I made something out of uh, if I macromade something, you know, he would I don't know how to put I don't know how to put it except for the fact that for eleven years of my married life with him, I never felt that I was really artistic. Um I couldn't I, I didn't feel I could do anything as as artistically well as he could. And he made me feel that way. By his um, comments, whenever I would do something like that, so and that took up what the latter eh, three years of the the fifties and all of the sixties. So,
1: so you'd say the sixties really didn't have. Sixties
4: did not have any influence on my artistic talent, excepting for the thing I did when he wasn't there which was play my guitar. And he never really ever spoke about my guitar playing or my singing in a negative way. If he had negative feelings about that he did suppress those uh, because other people liked what I did. Right. I played for my children uh, for their classes in school, I played for uh, our church. We had young people's group, young married people's group in our church. Um, I wrote songs for that purpose. I wrote songs for my kids for their school and stuff like that, and everybody liked it. I played. I taught at a Montessori school using my guitar and teaching the kids music and singing and stuff like that. So it was it was generally appreciated by a lot of my peers. And as a result, possibly, that was why he didn't have much negative to say about it. Plus, I never really, I don't remember ever him sitting down and listening to any of the songs that I wrote that were not kids' songs or not mm. church songs. There's a lot of, you know, because you know the songs that I've written. Right. In in Red Hills, every chapter is prefaced with a line or two of some of these songs, and they have nothing to do with church <laughs> nor children. And Well, in some cases, I think one or two lines do. But um, there were a lot of the songs that I wrote during that time frame were... Uh, uh, expressions uh, of me or they were me trying to express feelings that i had that i couldn't get i couldn't express any other way uh and a lot of it would have he would have considered negative mm. or yeah well there it goes you can blurp that out if you want to uh, my ex-husband who is now deceased uh would not have appreciated their content, and as a result, I don't think I ever played them for him. Um, some of the others he heard, and I don't know now whether it was that he really wasn't that interested or I didn't want him to hear them, mm. but whatever it was, he didn't really pursue it, and I didn't either. Um, other people did. Other adults uh, heard some of the songs. Some of the songs that I wrote, I wrote for other, uh, other men, as example. I wrote a song for a um, A uh, guy down at, um, Cardiff State Beach. He was, um, uh, what do they call those guys that they work for the state? Rangers. He was a ranger. Okay. You know, he tended the, you know, here, here's my three dollars I'm spending the night thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. He was my age or thereabouts. Uh, I flirted with him now and then you know I stayed there for a long time after I had left my husband Uh, and um, he said one night he said write me a song and so I wrote a song and some of the opening words are he said to me one evening write me a song you know and I did Um, it's I think a really good (laughs) song actually um I wrote most of the songs that I did write for the people I wrote about them or about my feelings for them. Uh, And there are, you know, there's lots. I've never counted them. There's quite a few songs. Anyhow, that was the only artistic expression that I felt comfortable doing in the 60s. Um, and that, like I said, largely was because I did it alone. He wasn't around.
3: Right.
1: Uh,
4: and he, and I didn't, when he came home, I didn't say, Oh, honey, I wrote a song today. Listen to it and tell me what you think. I wasn't that stupid, uh, because I didn't want to know what he thought. Uh, this, I wasn't writing the songs for anybody else to hear and tell me what they thought. I was writing the songs because I had things I wanted to express.
1: And you couldn't
4: say them verb. And verbally. I couldn't say a verb. I couldn't say the the things. I, a, a lot of times, I didn't even know I had the feelings. I would sit and play notes and, and sounds on the guitar, and just you know, fiddling around with it. And mm-hmm. and I hit on a run of notes or or a sound that sparked something in me, and I'd start singing about something. Right. And that's how I would write music. I I wrote songs and, I mean, lyrics and melodies at the same time. I know people can do one or the other. I can't. I'm not the kind of person who can take a melody someone else has written and put words to it. Nor can I put music to somebody else's words. It's, for me, a total package. Uh, And um, it probably was the one thing that saved my life, was my guitar and writing music. I was extremely depressed toward the end of the 60s. So much so I didn't realize it at the time how depressed I was. I used to get the kids up for school, send them off, and my husband would already be off at work, and then I would go upstairs and sit cross-legged on our bed and play solitaire. Uh, for about eight hours till the kids came home. And I did that for a really long time, and I didn't really realize what I was doing to myself until I happened to be looking in the mirror one night while I was changing clothes. I wanted to see if my, back in the day when we had nylon stockings with seams in the back, uh, I wanted to see if my seams were straight. And I looked at my legs in the mirror, long, full-length mirror, and I noticed some odd, discolorations at the backs of my knees and I looked closer and I realized that the backs of my knees both of them were bruised severely bruised and then I realized it was from sitting cross-legged on the bed for hours on end playing solitaire uh, and smoking Uh, (laughs) cigarettes and so I at that point I decided that there might be something wrong with me so I tried start trying to figure out what it was, and uh, I did something that's I don't tell very many people this. I tell you, and I know a lot of people are going to hear it now, <laughs> uh, but it doesn't feel that way. It just feels like I'm telling you. Right. Uh, I did something called automatic writing. Have you ever heard of automatic writing? It's a very strange phenomenon.
1: It sounds familiar.
4: It's um, it's where you sort of you take a paper and a pencil or pen uh, and you free your mind and sort of I guess you could say go into a trance uh, but you try to focus on nothing and, um, and then what happens is you actually start writing and um, at the time that I did this I didn't really know what I was writing you know, I was sitting on the floor actually in my bedroom. Uh, of course I was all alone in the house and um, feeling terribly desperate. And when I stopped, I looked to see what I had written and I, it had it said "I love you. Uh, I'm probably not going to get through this without crying so just okay. so you know okay I'm gonna try. And uh, so that in itself kind of made me cry, uh, but I, I kept wondering, you know, what was that, me telling me I loved me or what, you know, what was that? And um, so I just sat there some more and tried to, f- again, free my mind and not think of anything in particular except who or what wrote that. Right. And uh, when I was finished, I looked again at the paper and it said, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, you got to remember, my dad was a preacher. Right. Okay? And while I am and have been and do and say many things, I am basically a very religious person. Uh, in that, uh, I believe in God the Father and Jesus His Son and the Holy Spirit. That's just me. That's what I believe. Um
1: We've actually been down, not us particularly, but we've been down this road uh, on... <laughs> another podcast
4: yeah about beliefs and And so and so anyhow I think the the Jesus thing came to help me understand that my first impression was probably right that it was me saying I love you to me right because I believe that God Jesus and the Holy Spirit are in me a part of me uh part of me that is the best part of me and because i believe that for me to see this jesus word on the paper it sort of reinforced my earlier quandary when i thought did i say that right you know so what i got out of that basically was that i was of value and that i was that I love myself because I, I don't believe that you can love anybody else until you love yourself. And I, and I mean that in the very best sense of the word. Loving yourself means having respect for yourself, caring for yourself, doing the best you can for yourself so that you can do the best that you can for other people. Because right. if you don't take care of yourself, you can't do squat for anybody else. <laughs> Again, all my opinions. Anyhow, that moment sort of set me on a track of trying to find what there was in me that was of value. See, a lot of, a lot of times people don't really realize when I tell them that my former husband was abusive. They don't understand because he didn't beat me. I mean, he slapped me once, but I had slapped him, so I figured, well, hey, there you go. But um,
1: More an emotional abuse?
4: Oh, yeah. He was, he was a tremendously uh, abusive person in, 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 in that way. He, he, he could make you feel like shit just so damn fast. It was scary. Uh, and, and for a long time before I grew up, while I was married... And I didn't start growing up until my 30s. but for a long long time um, I was mm, it was easy to abuse me. I didn't have a lot of strength of character. I didn't have a lot of strength of personality. Um, and and I don't I can't lay that anywhere because my parents were good to me. my parents loved me and, and helped me to love myself and all of that but um, this man killed all that. Effectively, uh, which is odd because he was an extremely talented, uh, gifted person. He made beautiful things out of nothing. You know? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's odd that he could so willingly destroy a person. Uh, but he, he he did, and I, I don't know whether he did it on purpose or not. I really don't. I haven't got a clue. Sometimes people like that do that just to make themselves feel better about themselves without ever realizing they are. And uh, and because he was good to the boys and, as far as I know, didn't do that to them, uh, I have to assume that it, it may have been uh, just a, a thing between a husband and wife and... He, he was going to dominate no matter what, I mm. guess. I just, I don't know. I don't know. And I really don't need to know. It doesn't matter at why he point, did it. He yeah. did it. And um, so damned effectively that I almost came to believe it completely. And I, w- I was really close to the edge at that point in my life. I've, I've never really thought of taking my life or anything like that. But I... Um, I've only been that close one other time when when I um, I wanted to quit smoking went to the doctor and he prescribed librium for me. Really? Yeah. And I took one pill one day and one pill the next day and the next day I called the doctor's office and I said, I want to talk to Doctor So and so and she said, Well and I said, Well just tell him that I cared just enough to have made this phone call. She said, please don't hang up. Just one minute. Really? And he got on the phone and he said, hi, how you doing? I said, not so good. And he said, have you been taking that medication I gave you? And I said, yeah. He said, how much? And I said, I took one yesterday and I took one today. He said, don't take them anymore. They work too good on you. Leads are um, uh, they're a downer. Right. You know. And the whole idea, I guess, with uh, with me wanting to quit smoking was, you know, get me down enough and I won't care that I'm not smoking. Well, <laughs> uh, they took me way down. I'm one of those kind of people that meds work really good on me like they're supposed to work, you right. know. They really work on me. And he didn't have a clue at the time. So, but but at that point, that was, I was down as far with that medication as I was at this point in my uh, my life in the 60s. And it was a long haul back up. And the thing that brought me back was the guitar. And the music I wrote and played with it.
1: You now, do you still play?
4: No, I haven't. You know, it's weird. I've got it sitting in the back room. Uh, I took it into a musician or a music shop not too long ago. and had it tuned up and everything. It's in really good shape. Um... It's not the same guitar. Uh, Ernie bought me a really nice Takamina uh, many, many, many years ago. God, 35 years ago or more. Uh, and then I have a 12-string Aria that's uh, a really fun guitar to play too. But I haven't played in a long time, be- and I don't want to start again. I'm not there. I'm not in that place. Um, but I just keep them because of the good memory that, right. they, that they hold for me. Um and to play well, I'd have to get my, I'd have to,
5: I'd callous have to callus my
4: fingers again, and I don't want to go there. Uh, besides that, I'm too busy writing now and doing other things. But that was that was my creative uh, level, and the, and the funny thing is that not only did I create music with that effort, I created my life again with it. And so I, I became more the person that I am now than I had ever been up to that point. And, and more the person I had been before I met him. I got, I got me back. Right. But in a better condition than I had
1: anticipated.
4: And anybody that, uh, doesn't understand that, I'm sorry
1: It's pretty clear cut Well I
4: I know But there are people out there That are going to go Huh what (laughs) You know And that's okay That's cool Uh, Anyway On from there Um In the 70s What did I do in the 70s That was artistic Pretty much just the guitar thing You know And living hand to mouth And trying to hold a job And then I met Ernie And things got better Instantly Um uh, I, and he always appreciated any little thing I did, you know, even if he didn't know anything about it, you know, just, oh, that's really cute. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, it's not that I like to be lied to, but, you know, it it's kind of like a pendulum. You know, you go from everything I do is terrific to nothing I do is worthwhile. And I, I choose everything I do is terrific. Right. I choose that, Okay. Uh, because I know what the other one does to me, eventually, and it, it probably does to anybody. I think of children who are told constantly by their parents that they're stupid, or called stupid by their parents who aren't thinking, and I and I just I just want to smack them because, uh, folks, you just got no idea what that does to a child. You just got no idea. No. You know, and a child should always think that everything they do is the most special thing in the world. Yeah, because it is.
1: Zoe's still here with us. Yeah,
4: Zoe's sleep. pointing at me while I'm talking and saying this, huh? Yes. Got her thumb up and everything. Yeah. Yeah, and she's very special. Every baby should be made to feel special, in my opinion. Every human, for that matter. So, um, you know, think twice before you open your mouth, count to ten, shut up, and don't say it. You'll be better off, and so will they true sure. and if you can't lie to somebody if you can't lie to somebody and make them think that it's the truth about your opinion about something they did I feel sorry for you you know it's beyond tact we're talking way beyond tact here right you know you just you just and 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 if you think about it it doesn't so much matter what they produce in the way of their artistic effort just the fact that they make the effort is what it should be appreciated you know, it's not like it has to be <coughs> every everybody's artistic effort doesn't have to be a Picasso. Right. Everybody's vocal talent doesn't have to be Barbara Streisand. Everybody's this or that doesn't have to be the best in the world. It's that they do it, that they that they express themselves, that they feel free enough in the world and interested enough in the world to express themselves beyond the work of labor. Right. Beyond the ordinary efforts, that's artistic expression to me. And I don't care what it is. If it's drawing in the mud, if it's <clears throat> dancing a- a- around the kitchen while you wash the dishes, it doesn't matter. It's an artistic expression. Right. And as such bears appreciation, in my opinion.
1: Well, and you're saying that, and I'm almost 100%... I uh, certainly seen this on Facebook. I posted this a few weeks ago. Um, I went and gave my oldest child Jaden. You know, I gave him some chips, and oh
4: yeah, I know what you're talking. I know what you're going. Yeah,
1: and he took the chips, and he was he instantly just walked away quickly. And I asked him. I said, "Where are you going in such a rush?" And he's like, "I've got work to do on my business." Is mm-hmm. he said, don't get choked I, right know, I know.
4: I know. I know. I it- know. It, it, I, I really dug that when when I saw that too because I knew just exactly what you were thinking and feeling and for him at his age of 11 Yes to feel that committed you know to uh, a thing he's doing I think is totally cool and you of course do too
1: I'm still getting sure yeah, yeah. yeah
4: Well you should you should be proud and you are I know you are and for him he, he, for those of you who don't know, um, Jaden is not only an 11-year-old young man, but he also is blessed with autism. And so his his road is a little more difficult sometimes to climb than, yes. than that of the rest of us. And, and so for him to have that much interest in a thing he's doing is just phenomenal. Phenomenal.
1: And it, it touches my heart because I've never, never pushed anything. On him. I've no. never pushed my And that's probably
4: anything. why he does it too because he feels the freedom of expression. You know, he's expressing himself.
1: And well, since you shared something with me, I'm going to share something with you. Okay. I'm I've always been creative. I it's just my soul is a creative soul. But in the beginning, when I realized that above anything else in this world I want to write Mm -hmm. it wasn't accepted by
4: those around you you mean? yes
1: Mm. my purpose amongst the people some of them were gone God bless them but my purpose was to be a pastor
4: in their minds or in yours?
1: yes no in their minds
4: oh oh that's interesting
1: Hence the, the linguistic skills Ah, uh, okay um, And when I came to My identity mm-hmm. It was very frowned upon And then when I started Writing the things that I struggled with, Because in the beginning Well, not so much in the beginning In the beginning it was just kind of a you know when you start writing you Mimic what you know mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. so I, I mimic comic books Because that's what I was into mm-hmm. But um, <sighs> It was called It wasn't It was never No one ever called it Your writing Or your stories what they call it? They called it Fantasy Island A derogatory statement mm-hmm. Now I would never do that To my children What?
4: What did they, how did they use that term? What did they, how, give me an expression that they uh, would
1: use. Uh, let's see they, They'd say, what are you doing? I'm ready Oh, you're in your fantasy island Oh,
4: I gotcha Oh, nice mm-hmm. and, Oh, God, could they try harder To make it just feel a little bit
1: smaller And Jesus For years mm. And here, here's something It's even going to go back further. Until I met this particular teacher and I was in high school, uh-huh. I had a below a third grade reading level. Uh-huh. Because a lot of my family come from the South. My name is Montoya. Uh-huh. My father is Hispanic. Mm-hmm. My, my biological father is Hispanic. Mm-hmm. And because of that lineage, mm-hmm. I was stupid. Because I wasn't white. Mm. I wasn't... You were
4: considered white. to be stupid by some. Yes. yes.
1: By and me. for many and you did years... did your best
4: to live down to that.
1: Huh? Well, <laughs> I mean, it came out so, but I mean, but for many years being told, and that's... Because I could connect, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm telling the story mm-hmm. Because I could connect with that story,
3: mm-hmm.
1: I thought I was stupid. Mm-hmm. I thought I was destined for welfare
3: trash mm-hmm.
1: for many, many years until I wrote a little story in this little below. You know, it, it was below like reading A. It was just this little class to mm-hmm. being in class for in California. And Mrs. Kennedy was the teacher's name. Hmm. Twenty years later I remember this lady's name. <laughs> and she goes, You can write.
4: Oh wow. I'm like, God bless her.
1: What do you mean? <laughs> I just I you know, just yeah. told the story. She's like, You know the acts, you know the, the step of act one, act two, closing act three, climax. I never
4: Never thought of it like that.
1: I just told the story.
4: Yeah. Mm.
1: So the the concept of me being in Fantasy Island, mm-hmm. that became my drive. You're mm-hmm. goddamn right I'm in Fantasy yeah, Island. Yeah, yeah. And I'm really fucking good at it, too. Yeah, yeah.
4: And don't you wish you could be here? Exactly. Yeah.
1: And to push that into what we're talking about with the kids, you know, even if it's a silly idea as an adult, You know, they're going to go do something. It's a silly idea. You know it's not going to work, but you encourage them.
4: Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You've got to got to do that. You got to do that you can not Now, my mom used to be pretty negative. I can remember as a kid, you know, we all go, uh, as kids, we all go through phases of what I want to be when I grow
1: up. Yes.
4: I don't know why mom did things like this, but I remember one time I told her I wanted to be an ice skater. You know, I was always a pudgy kid. Okay, the chances of me ever being an ice skater professionally were so slim. But instead of just saying, "Yeah, that's a good idea," she, "No, you don't want to do that. You know, you get, they, you have to travel around all the time. You can't have a home life. But no, 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 you don't want to be an ice skater." Yeah, I did. I really just wanted to. Wanted to wear those cute little skirts and and, and dance around on the ice. Hell yes, just I completely wanted to do. The idea. Well, I did just. I still went ice skating and I still wanted to wear the cute little skirts and everything but I didn't have it in my heart anymore like a dream I could maybe achieve someday Right. you know and then there was the time I said something about wanting to drink something, ah you don't want to drink I tried that once when I was young and it's no good you know, it was just her way of, of guiding sorry. me I guess you know, where she thought I should go I don't know I don't know I don't think we realize sometimes the effect we have on people with our words. Right. Don't think we do. And unfortunately I think it's getting worse, um, because um well, I guess kids aren't even talking anymore. They're just tweeting and twittering texting. and texting and whatnot. Uh which may or may not be a blessing actually. Um, because so much of it can be misunderstood, misconstrued, right. so that uh, can't really ever say, "Well, you said this about me." Because they can always go, "Well, no, I didn't. I said this," and they go, "Oh, okay." You know, so maybe you know, it's not the spoken word. Right. You know, they don't want to speak to each other. They they're uncomfortable speaking to one another. It's much too much closeness, and they prefer. And I'm not. This is not an assumption on my part. This is, I'm quoting kids. Opinions right, right. at this point, and and their their preference is to to stay at a distance from one another. And I don't know whether they, it's social pressures, pre- pressures from parents to avoid uh, intimate contact. You know, because there's a lot of that going on. You know, you don't you don't want to get too close. You know, don't let so and so touch you here and there and all that crap. Right. Is still going on. You know, and as far as I know, most of the kids are already. <clears throat> not virgins anymore so you know um and i think as parents we tend to think oh well we'll protect them from sex drugs and rock and roll if we just tell them Ha! so there's a lot of pressure coming from somewhere for these kids not to be verbally intimate with one another
3: Mm. uh
4: and have conversations you know they will listen to somebody else talk in a movie or on TV or on a podcast right and that's perfectly fine because there's a separation there there's a,
3: a, wall. a distance yeah
4: there's no intimate physical contact there and they're not obligated in any way and so it works for them so <clears throat> but somebody in their lives actually talks to them probably right. their parents or grandparents or uh, authoritative caregivers whoever they may be Uh, and I would just like to say for God's sakes please be careful what you say to children
1: yes Mm -hmm. or co-workers for uh, that matter true true anyway but I was going to say I uh, first published material that I had I just walked walked in the kitchen Tossed it down on the table and walked
4: out. Welcome to Fantasy Island.
1: And that's what yeah. I did.
4: I'm curious. Why, what What was their, uh, how did this preacher thing come up? Where did that come from? <laughs> I mean, you know, given your background that you just described to us, I, I find it an odd uh, assumption on their part. So there must have been something else there that you didn't tell us about. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um... Well, you don't have
4: to go into it if you don't. No, want I,
1: to. I, I'm trying to think about how where where the best place to start is. Um, my mom was a Pentecostal yeah. evangelist. For okay,
4: years. okay.
1: That's where it started. I get
4: that. I totally get that. Um, my mom and dad became Pentecostal, believe it or not. After they left the Disciples Christ Christian Church, they turned Pentecostal. But anyway,
1: and from there. She felt that I had a, a a calling to one up her calling, you know, a, a spiritual calling, and it was you could
4: do what she couldn't, right? Okay. Well, the, the parents do that a lot, try to live through their kids, yeah.
1: And um, and I'm I completely, in fact, I, I did a whole episode with Terry and sheer darkness, mm-hmm. and we did a whole thing about. Religion and belief
4: hmm.
1: And For me I don't know if it's just because my head's Wired differently I had to Go through my own little journey mm-hmm. I sit here and I can say I am a Christian mm-hmm. I'm fully Comfortable in that Practice mm-hmm. in that belief Yeah, But it wasn't something that I was told well you're a Christian Right, right. It was a, something that had to be Journey. Well,
4: it does with anybody, actually. To be very truthful with you, the the religious journey that one goes on, whether they become Christian or Hindu or Buddhist or Church. what, out of it is an individual journey.
1: Right.
4: Uh, if 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 they don't at some point make that individual journey, then they're just, in my opinion, going through the motions.
1: Okay. Right. Well. And I know we've talked about trying to stay away from serious episodes.
4: Yeah, here we are in one again.
1: (laughs) But I enjoy the serious episodes. But we are are at a new stage in the game. We're adding a segment to the episodes now called Burbank Backstories.
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah, we are.
1: Yeah. And what this is is... For the last twenty to fifteen to twenty minutes of the show, um, Sadie's going to go in and she's going to kind of retell <laughs> different stories. Um, Not she's,
4: retell, just tell. Well, just tell.
3: Yeah,
1: and, um, and yeah, that's better. Sadie will recount uh, different stories from her her past. And
4: <laughs> I don't know why, but I will. <laughs> I don't know why anybody would be interested in it, but I will.
1: So, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome to the very first... Burbank. Yeah.
4: Burbank. Segment Burbank.
1: of yeah. Burbank Backstory. So, what do you got for us today?
4: Well, I made a list the other day because we had talked about doing this at some point or other. and
1: So, what do you have for us this week?
4: Well, I made a list of some of the stories that I could tell about my early years in Burbank. you got to remember, I was born there. When we left there, I was five years old. So a lot of the stories that I have are stories more that I remember being around when they were told rather than actually remembering the incidents. But I did make a list of some that I actually remember. Um... it just seems so uh, silly for me. I even thought about today. I was, talk- I was thinking about the, the house. My mom, or grandmother, rather, uh, we lived with my grandmother on Peyton Avenue in Burbank when I was born, or shortly thereafter. And um, Grandma took care of me when Mom and Dad worked. My dad worked at Lockheed during the war, making airplanes. And my mom uh, worked for the city of Burbank, and I think she was a bookkeeper. And um, so they had hours to keep that did not include taking care of a child with two children, actually. My brother was five years older than I. And so Grandma took care of us, and I was very, very close with my grandmother as a result. You know, she was the caregiver in my life, the authority figure in my life, basically, uh, from the time I was born until I was five. So, uh, most of the things I remember are about the house there in Burbank. Um, I remember it was a it was a strange sort of stucco house that had uh, little bitty rocks stuck into the stucco. <laughs> I guess that's what stucco is, actually. I think that's why they call it that, because they stick the rocks into it. Um, and my dad was a painter by trade at that time, um, even though he was working at Lockheed. Uh, his He was a third-generation construction painter and uh, did a lot of that around the house, and I was exposed to it quite a bit. I thought painting was really cool. And when I got to be too much for my grandmother to handle, she would uh, give, take me out into the front of the house, out the front door, and give me a cup of water and a little paintbrush like you use in kids' paint books, mm-hmm. you know, when kids paint. You know, it's got a about a quarter-inch wide brush. And, um... She would have me paint the house, which sounds kind of dumb, except with that stucco, when it got wet, it actually changed color.
3: Ah, okay.
4: So it went from a tan, very, very pale, tan, sandy color to a deeper, richer beige color when wet. So I would take my paintbrush and I would paint the, all the little rocks, which would take, like, freaking eons to do. But I would work really fast, you know, so get a whole bunch of them, right. and and they would change color, you know, and I and so it gave me the feeling of actually painting the house, and it was like totally endless project. Aside from the fact that the paintbrush was only a quarter inch wide and the house was huge,
3: <laughs>
2: um,
4: because it, it, it the paint the water rather would dry off of the stucco and then it would become a bare canvas again, so to speak. And so I could I could paint five square inches, you know, and ten minutes later it didn't need painting again because it would have dried. And of course, grandmother knew this, and so that was an easy way to keep me occupied. That's clever, you know. My, my mother used to say small things and use small minds. I think that may have been why she said that. I'm not sure, but it was very clever on my grandmother's part. It um, it gave me something to do I liked to do, and. Um, Felt productive doing and got me out of her hair, which was no doubt a great relief. <laughs> and the yard, the backyard, well actually the, the yard itself um, was bordered on one side by uh, the na- neighbor's property and a fence with uh, flowers and plants and whatnot growing up very high, so it gave a lot of uh, privacy from that. (laughs) And then on the other side, uh, I don't remember what was beyond the driveway because that was about the limit of my ability to go by myself, was the driveway. I didn't go further than that, so I can't even tell you what was on the other side of the driveway. But I remember the driveway was what I will call an old-fashioned driveway in that it was two narrow lanes of concrete and and a median in between that was dirt and sometimes a few weeds. And the concrete led from the street back to the far back part of the property. And it was built that way because the cars that were used in those days were narrow and drove on on that, you know, there wasn't any point in, in... Making an entire concrete driveway when you only needed enough for the tires to go on. Right. You know, so you saved a lot of money that way. And it wasn't, theirs wasn't the only driveway that was built that way. You know, many were, but I remember that about the driveway. And um, in the backyard, The house was sheltered by an enormous... Of course, you got to remember at my age then, everything was enormous. But this avocado tree was enormous. It was taller than the house by several feet, and as wide, if not wider, than the house itself. It was a huge avocado tree. It was fruit-bearing. And what makes it interesting, especially to me, was that my grandfather actually planted it from an avocado seed that he sprouted. Really? Yeah, and the avocado seed had come from an avocado that he got from uh, the trees that my aunt grew in her yard in another part of Burbank. And he planted this tree. And, well, you know what? Come to think of it, that's probably. No, no, that is true. That is true. I was going to say that's a lie because she wasn't that old, but that is true. She They did live in Burbank at that time, and they did have avocado trees. And I'm pretty sure that that was where that that, that avocado had come from. And it grew up over the, the many years that they were there. Um, and um, what else do I remember about that yard? I remember beyond the avocado tree was... Um, a grapevine, Concord grapevine. You don't see Concord grapes very often. Uh-uh. Once in the blue moon, at just the right time of the fall, uh, the grocery stores will have them occasionally. And they're usually kind of expensive. And I almost always try to buy some simply because of the memories they hold for me. Concord grapes are kind of strange. They make real good <laughs> jelly, uh, especially preserved Grape jelly and the seeds are out, but the, and the seed, and the skins are gone. But the grapey pulpy stuff is still there and really, really yummy. Um, Welch's used to make grape preserves like that, but they don't do it anymore. I had to write them to find that out.
3: <laughs> oh, really?
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cause I kept trying to find them in the stores, you know, and and I finally wrote to them and said, "How come I can't find grape preserves anymore?" And they said, "Well, we don't make that anymore." Anyway the thing about the Concord Grapevine that was special to me was that my brother and I used to go out and because I was little I couldn't really pick grapes for myself and I didn't know what ones to pick anyhow and a Concord Grape has a sort of a tart um skin okay and I didn't like the, the skin you know lots of people grown-ups can eat a a grape and they can spit out the skin and spit out the seeds and just eat the part they want. But little kids have trouble with that. So my brother, being five years older than I, would take me out to the grapevine and pick them for me and then he would, I would use the word poot, he pooted the the grape out of its skin and squeeze it so the grape would squeeze out of the skin and into my mouth. And that way then I, all I had to do was deal with the seeds. I could either eat them or spit them out as I chose. Right. I never ate them. I didn't like them. But I did like the grapes. And and so Concord Grapes for me today still hold that memory. Uh, one of the few of my brother and I as children that is worth remembering. Um, let's see. What else about Burbank? How much time do we have left? Eight minutes. Eight minutes. Okay. Um. Another thing Grandma used to do, I think one of the reasons I am the way I am today in size and in, you know, my favorite thing to eat, which is bread. I'm a total bread freak. You know, in the Bible, it says man can't live by bread alone. Yeah. (laughs) The guy that wrote that never knew me. Totally could. (laughs) Well, actually, see, that really is true because I prefer bread bread either with butter or something. So in, in that sense of the word, he's right. Uh, Bread by itself isn't as desirable, but uh, Grandma used to, uh, sometimes as a reward for being a good girl, I would get a slice of bread buttered, and she would let me sit out on her back porch, which was not a porch. It was two stairs that came out from her back door, concrete stairs that went down to uh, the driveway. And I would sit on the top stair and eat my bread and butter. That was a very special treat that I got to have. Sometimes she would let me have that after nap. I used to nap on her bed, which had a a maroon satin bedspread that was quilted. I remember that as vividly as anything I can remember from my childhood. And that was a special time when I got to sleep on her bed. I didn't always get to sleep on her bed. I had my own bed, but I sometimes could sleep on nap on her bed. And that was... That was a big deal. Funny little things like that. I remember uh, she used to, she was my disciplinarian also. And somebody, and I don't know to this day, I never will know who, <laughs> uh, because I've asked mother about it and she doesn't, she didn't remember it. Um, m- grandma had a hallway that off of which the bedrooms led. uh uh-huh. And at the end of the hallway was a uh, tall mirror built on, hanging on the wall. Okay. You know, a four-length mirror. And I don't know where I got the idea because we didn't have television in those days. We had radio, but grandmother would never have put anything on the radio that would have inspired me to such action. But for some reason, I decided to, to dance down the hallway and I must have been doing a little bit of a, like a can-can kind of dance. And at one point, I turned around and I, and I flicked my, the skirt of my little dress up in the air over my ass and looked at myself in the mirror. And I got the shit beat out of me for that. Really? Oh, my God. And I don't know whether it was grandma or mother to this day. I will never know who it was who did it. I think it must have been grandmother because, like I said, mom wasn't around that much. Right. Uh, I wasn't doing it to show off to anybody. I was just dancing and, you know, maybe I saw it in a movie or something because we did go to a movie now and then. Right. You know, when I was a kid, I must have gone to movies. Mom and dad went to movies. I'm sure I must have gone with them. And I may have seen somebody dancing in a movie like that. But whichever one of them it was did not think that was decent behavior for a little girl. And made it abundantly clear to me. It was a long, long time before I danced as freely.
1: How old were you there?
4: Probably about three. Mm-hmm. Just old enough to be able to do it. And not have a clue what I was doing. Not a clue. That kind of stayed with me. To this day. It stays. with I can remember it happening.
1: Really? Yeah.
4: And I'm like, Damn. You know, I didn't think I was doing anything wrong.
3: <laughs> it really
4: wasn't. But somehow or other, that mindset was there. Right. You know. Um, but Grandma used to do a lot of wonderful things, too. She, she let me brush her hair. And I that sounds silly. Wonderful thing. But she let me brush her hair. But she had really long hair. She used to tie up in a bun like the older ladies did. And, and she'd sit in her... She had this sort of little half, kind of over, half-stuff rocking chair kind of thing, and her hair, if she'd let it down, would hang over the back of the chair, and she'd let me brush it, and she'd lay there and doze, you know, and, yeah. <laughs> and I'd be brushing her hair, and she'd say, "Stop now, Maryland, Grandma's sleepy," you know, and I'd go, oh, "Let me brush her." I love brushing her hair, and we'd sit together in that same chair, and she would read me um, stories. She read me this one. I wish I could find it. I've looked all over trying to find a reprint. It was in one of the magazines, I suspect, that she subscribed to or had around the house. And it was a story about a little church, Little Brown Church in the Wildwood, I think it was called, or something like that. And I I can just, she used to read it to me all the time, and I I don't really remember what the story was about, except it was a little, and I can remember the page. had this little tiny picture in the center of the page. with was a little brown chart. And I can remember hearing her teeth click while she read it. You know, she had false teeth. Um, And, you know, it's just one of those things that was such a good time for the two of us together, such a loving time to share, that it just stays with me. It stays with me just as clearly and vividly and warmly as the spanking for the dancing did. Right. You know, which is kind of funny with, you know, the things that stick with you, the good and the bad and the ugly. They all s- sort of stay there because it comprises your, you know, childhood memories. So, are we out of time yet?
1: Not yet, but Not I was going to say actually we're close enough where I could pop in and say, okay. People are going to like this. I think you people think? are going to
4: enjoy it. Well, I certainly hope so. I can't imagine anybody would want to listen to me tell stories about well, see, I'm a when sucker. I was a child.
1: I'm a sucker for nostalgia, so.
4: Well, that's that's good because I'm full of it. <laughs> I am. I'm full of it. I admit it. Um, and I've got more, you know, a few more of things that I, that I did. Oh, she's got the phone talking. Isn't that clever? I wonder who we (laughs) call.
1: Well, for this week, I am David K. Montoya.
4: And I am Miss Sadie Burbank.
1: And remember, what happens in Burbank ends up on a podcast. Good night, folks. (laughs) Good night. You know, Sadie has lived a very fascinating life. um, And... Man, I, I really hope she does come back and, and, and enlighten us with more of her her insight from the past like that. That was really cool. Didn't you enjoy that, Zoe? Yeah. Right on. Okay, kids, that is it for this episode, number 50 of Flashback Fridays. I am your host, David K. Montoya. Zoe Montoya. I'll come back next time, and we will do it again as we dive into the Jazo Modcast podcast archives and pull three more episodes from the past until then see you next week